Hey, Jeff. Hey, Eric. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? Doing well, thank you. We had a wonderful Thanksgiving this week. Hopefully, all of you out there had equally as wonderful a holiday as we did. And you want to know what next year? Come on over to Dan's no, <laughs> Do not make promises you cannot keep, Jeff. It's not my house. Everybody is invited to Dan's place. His address is... You know what? Is... We had a great Thanksgiving at Dan's place this year. It was a little unexpected. We, we usually go to our cousin's place, and before that, we would have everyone over to our parents' place years back. But this year, we had to do a little audible. Mm-hmm. Our mom was involved in a car accidents well i mean uh, involved is an interesting word i would say uh well she was hit by a car yeah that is the involvement yeah that, that she had in that she was she was crossing the street here in new york city a car came around did not stop she spent 10 days in the hospital and she is back at home recovering really nicely and remarkably yeah she's on like week five of six or whatever like she's she is able to walk with uh, crutches. She's able to sometimes walk with no crutches. Like she is, she's going to physical therapy. Yeah. She is. She has been honestly. She's been so warmed by all of the amazing messages that we've gotten from friends and family and strangers alike. So anybody who has reached out to us, believe me, we have passed along your good words and your good energy to her. And there's no doubt that it played a great part in in her attitude and her recovery to this point today and onward so thank you for that yeah even bun b (laughs) why do you say it like that it's like it's like bun usually wouldn't do that no bun b definitely would reach out but we pass it along bun don't worry i know that bun's probably listening because this is the russ bangston podcast so we are very very grateful and thankful for the fact that we were all together this year Mm -hmm. um certainly that that things were not any worse than they were and we were just happy to all be together. And as these things go, you know, me and you and Dan, together, we we have this chemistry, this ease around uh, any situation, whether you're talking about cooking or cleaning or putting on an event. Yeah, Dan and I clean a mean bathroom. There is there's something very natural to the way that we all operate beyond us being brothers, you know. And the same goes with when we're around you know, Shinsuke or Greg or Dennis or Craig or Kara or or Tiffany or whoever, because it's something that we learned when we were kids at Purchase Day Camp and later on when we worked after school at the Purchase Community House or over the summers at Purchase Day Camp, being a counselor, working in the audio video department, whatever it was, doing doing maintenance uh, before camp started or after camp ended. And it's it's something where you know, you find out that that not everyone had an upbringing like this. You know, not everyone learned leadership like we did. Not everyone got a chance to explore their creativity or or become better teammates with people like we did. And and we give such credit to this after school program that we were a part of, this summer camp that we were a part of. And the reason I bring this up is because today we put new merch on it's the slash shop. We have a new hooded sweatshirt called the Monthly Winter Sweatshirt that we put a lot of love into because the Purchase Community House plays a very special part in our lives, and we wanted to pay tribute to that through this sweatshirt. And you can get it today at itsthereal.com slash shop. And it's it's dope looking, it's dope feeling, and again, this is as close to us as you can get. This isn't something where we just, like, throw our name on something. You know, with all due respect to, like, the Lakers jersey, there's, like you know, a little of us in that. Right. I mean, we didn't grow up as Lakers fans. No, this is legitimately as close as you can get. We wanted to pay tribute 
to our 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 youth mm-hmm. and also pay tribute to our catchphrases now so you have not for real for real on the back a lot of people have been asking for us to do merch with not for real for real on it on the front you have caricatures of us that pays tribute to the community house mm-hmm. done by our friend brian reddy who we grew up with at the community house yeah and and it does say monthly winner on the right hand side yeah which because there were games like basketball freeze out hockey shootout yeah where after school you would be able to win one of these shirts should you win this competition so it's on sale now it's thrill.com slash shop go get yours today it's holiday season yeah so now is the time to get one for you and your loved ones so get one now and look dope and feel dope jeff on the podcast today on the podcast today is russ how did i mispronounce his first name i don't know on the podcast today is russ Bengson. Russ, as you know, is a big deal in shoes and basketball and writing and hip hop. And if you've seen him, he is unmistakable. He has this giant beard. Mm-hmm. But a lot of you may not know his full story coming from Long Island, going to school down in Delaware, going on to be editor in chief at Slam Magazine, going on to create shoe programming at Complex with people like Clark Kent. And having just a huge, pardon the phrase, but footprint in this business, Russ Bankston is just one of the funniest people we know. Yes. And and one of the most revered because, you know, he, he didn't end up working for Sports Illustrated. Spoiler alert. You oh. know, <laughs> he didn't end up working for ESPN, the magazine. Oh, yeah, I know. I know. But please listen to the rest of this podcast. Yeah. But he is somebody who is so important to pardon the phrase. The culture. Oof. No, he really is. I know, but oof. We, we can't use that anymore? No. It's it's not the end of the year yet. But we never even used it. We why, haven't, we haven't why made Why did it. you start using it when everybody has stopped? <laughs> well, no. that You know, when, when a joke has gone too far and it's like you can keep it going so it circles back? Yeah, yeah. That's this. So let's... The culture, the culture, the culture. Ugh. So, Russ is a huge part of the environment. Oh. And, and we're just thrilled for him to come here and share his experiences with Kevin Garnett or Alan Iverson. Iverson yeah. yeah, totally. Jonathan Mannion. And there's just so many great stories here. He's a great storyteller. And this has been a long one in the making. There were times when we thought that Russ didn't even know who we were. Turns out, Turns out he sort of did. Spoiler alert. Yeah, spoiler <laughs> alert. Russ is a great dude. I'm super thrilled to, to have him tell his story here today. I think you guys are going to love this episode. And I do too. See, Jeff has given his stamp of approval. Jeff, as you like to do, I know you have three episodes that you want to recommend right at your fingertips right now. You have prepared and you know which episodes you want to recommend to the people. And you're going to tell the people right now, starting with... Starting with, and by the way, it's good that I didn't just look these up <laughs> as you were stretching. You definitely did not. Stretching that. <laughs> um, so who's it going to be, Jeff? We have 219 other episodes to choose from, and you have top of my head. You have put in painful research. I'm going to say episode number 12, DJ Clark Kent. Whoops! Did you just start playing it? <laughs> Didn't mean to do that. <laughs> DJ Clark Kent, man. <laughs> Clark is just one of the greatest dudes ever. That's not even to get into his production. The fact that he DJed for Biggie, the fact that he found Jay-Z. We're not even going to get into any of that. He's just one of the greatest dudes ever. And for that alone, you should listen to his episode. It's like two hours of pure greatness. DJ Clark Kent. Also, our top listened to podcast ever. Wow. So add to those numbers, guys. Yeah. Episode number 12. 
Number 21 with Bun B. Shout out to Bun B, man. Houston Zone, Port Arthur Zone, one of our great friends. He's a superior human being. And in this podcast, you know we had to talk about Houston stuff. So J.J. Watt. And we talked about when he met Manny Fresh. And we talked about Sam Cassell almost running him over in his Range Rover. We talked about Mike Dean. We talked about him in the Solange video. We talked about UGK forever. There's a lot in there. It's always the most fun when we're around Bun B. So please take your time and listen to that Bun B episode, episode number 21. 21. Number 95, Jersey Jinx. Shout out to Jersey Jinx, man. Did we have the best time going to Miami with 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 Brandon Jersey Jinx Jenkins? That sort of sounds like your Joe Budden impression. What? Boy, did we have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Jinx. We... uh. You know, we went down to Miami for Red Bull and our flight got postponed seven times and then got canceled. So we spent a lot of time with Jinx and he's a great friend of ours to begin with. But the fact that it was like going to war with Jinx, it was like doing a live podcast with him Mm -hmm. from JFK. But you should listen to this episode with Jinx because, man, talk about when he was making mixtapes in high school. Talk about when he went to college and then brought Steve Stout down to speak to his class and ended up doing work for translation and going on to mass appeal and being hired away for complex and doing work with pigeons and planes. And and now he works at State of the Environment. <laughs> State of the Environment? <laughs> That's a good call. That's good. That was good. Yeah. Shout out to Jersey Jinx. Check out that episode, and yes, go support all our friends over at... Revolt. Revolt. Jeff, if people are looking for holiday presents, they can go get t-shirts and rhyme books, and now sweatshirts at itsthereal.com slash shop. Do you recommend they do that? Yes. Good. That's a strong, strong endorsement Great. me. Go do that. Go yeah. do that right now, and get ready for a great episode with Russ Bankson. Jeff, when do you want to get into it? Right now. Yo, what up, Eric, a.k.a. Humpty Hump Swag, a.k.a. Post-Nasal Drip. Yo, what up, it's Jeff, a.k.a. In a Different Bracket, a.k.a. NIC Turney. Hi, I'm Russ. <laughs> I didn't come up with a whole name. <laughs> yeah, this is your third favorite podcast, The Waste of Time with This For Real. Bow, 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 Russ, what's happening? Happy to be here on the Yeah, well, yeah. happy to have you here. You know, we were together in Queens. Yes. We went yes. to uh, City Field for a New Balance uh, activation, right? Yeah, yeah. And I don't know what you expected, but I didn't expect it to snow that day. No, I did not <laughs> expect it to snow. Because what, it was like late March? Yeah. Late March? It wasn't yeah. quite April And we're yet. going out mm-hmm. there to have, ostensibly, home run derby. I mean, I don't know if they were going to bring the fences in or whatever. Yeah, we never really figured out what that was going to be like. And then they housed us downstairs in the batting cages, and you won. Well, I would have won. <laughs> I'm still kind of bitter about that. Oh, no, that. right. I, no, yeah. you came in second. I lost yeah. to a professional athlete. This he is true. He was like a pro lacrosse player. And, like, I understand lacrosse isn't baseball, but <laughs> professional athlete is a professional athlete. Like, the guy's probably going to be better than, well, we are. Right. Yeah. So Because the rest of us are, like, quote-unquote influencers, yes, right? We are. we are weekend warriors. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. And not even through playing sports <laughs> on the weekends. But I mean, hey, it was fun. I'm totally down to do that again. If the Mets are listening, you know, they can they can invite us all back out this year to yeah, try again. Winter or whatever. Right, right, right. Hopefully well, can skip I just the say, snow. We were in the same like bracket. Yeah. And I came in second to you and I was so happy that we didn't tie because I had nothing left in the tank. <laughs> I didn't either. I didn't either. 
I was definitely hurting by the end of that. <laughs> yeah. Like, you don't realize, I guess, like, hmm, hitting hurts. But also, like, it wasn't home run derby in the batting cages because it was just like, just make contact. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. Just put it, like, past something. Exactly. Or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Just, like, yeah. don't, yeah. like, Foul hit it down. It's fine. Yeah. Right, right. But we all left with engraved bats. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And um, I know that they misspelled your name on the jersey, but did they misspell it on the bat? Yes. <laughs> yes. It was one of those things where there's like so much swag yeah. and they want to go through so much to personalize it. And yeah, they managed to spell my name wrong on everything, including the shoes. Um, <laughs> yeah. They did resend stuff later. Oh, really? really? Like they actually, you know, uh, stitched my name on a jersey. So it was oh. like a nicer one. Well, that's mm-hmm. kind. Um, but the bat... It's funny, the bat was just screened on this time. Oh, so I have the engraved <laughs> misspelled one, and now I have like a screened on properly spelled one. And I'm not sure what to do with all this stuff. Let me just tell you, you must be killing it because when we asked for our things to get replaced because they put Curl God on my shoes mm-hmm. and they put Guapo Slim on Eric's shoes. Which is backwards, yeah. They were like, yeah, yeah, we'll look into it. Never looked yeah, into never, it. Never. Mm. Yeah. Well, what's the worst <laughs> misspelling that someone has like committed for you? It, you know what? It's usually the same. Okay. It's usually mm-hmm. just the ST. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. The more often it happens, the funnier it is because I'm like, it's not like you can't find my name spelled correctly somewhere. <laughs> like... It is literally my Twitter handle and my Instagram handle. Like, you only have to look that far. You don't have to do a lot of research. Right. Well, what is the correct pronunciation of your name? Well, it's just Banked Son. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, and if you say it fast, I guess it, you know, you don't get that particular enunciation. Like, I don't, I don't know. (laughs) But, you know, that's the thing. Like, I always think of it as like, it's a Swedish last name. Mm -hmm. It's. It ends in sun. Like, how hard is that? Like, there's well, a lot of names that end in sun. Yeah, like Anderson, but yours right, is right. with, like, five different consonants in, right in a in row. In a row, right, right, right. No, I, I guess, and that's the thing. Like, you always think of your own name as being easy to spell. Of but course, yeah. I, I guess for other people, like... It yeah, why can't you be more understanding of other people? <laughs> I should just change it. Yeah, actually. yeah, yeah. Honestly? Yeah, at this yeah. point. Yeah. <laughs> You're originally from... Long Island. Long Island. North Suffolk Shore, County. South Shore, so, somewhere kind, in the middle. Kind of somewhere in the middle, I guess, technically. Right. Like, closer to North Shore. And what was growing up in Long Island like? I mean, look, it was it Was, was just, it too exciting? It was very <laughs> suburban. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely not too exciting. Um, man, I don't know. A lot of a lot of going and playing soccer on the weekends. Yep. Like, very, very traditional Long Island upbringing. What's the closest mall to you? Smith Haven. Okay, yeah. Okay, Smith good. Haven. Yeah. So... You know, who was R.A. the Rugged Man, like when he did that Smith Haven Mall song. He's like, oh, yes. All right. Someone finally speaking for me. I feel seen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, What'd your folks do? My dad worked for IBM. Okay. And my mom was, she worked for, she was a teacher and then kind of gave that up when me and my sister were born and Mm -hmm. went back to doing kind of part-time things in our school district. Oh, wow. But luckily she worked for like the elementary school by the time we were in junior high and high school. So, you know, fortunately we didn't have the mom being a, you know, student aide in the same school. Yeah. 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 <laughs> is your sister older? Sister is younger. Okay. She, she went into teaching too, right but on. she got married. Her husband is a professor, a music professor wow. who was trying to get tenure for a while. I think he finally did. So they were bouncing all over the place. And yeah. now they're in uh, Charleston, Illinois. Where is that? Which is, I think, a town Illinois. I haven't... Oh, oh, yes. oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've even been there. He was at Northwestern for a while, so he was, like, just outside of Chicago. And, yeah. like, um, they've been all over. Right they've on. Colorado, Arizona. I, I... So as the older child, did you get away with everything? Was it easier for you or harder for you? 
You know, it's a good question. Um, it's I, only good questions on this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> got I mean, you got to get the one good one out of the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's the mall, and then we get into the I, psychology. I, of it. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like technically maybe it was harder, but only because she was actually, uh, you know, a proper student, and I definitely wasn't. You know, I was the one looking to get away with not doing Any as work. much as possible. <laughs> yeah, and she would be the come home and do the homework right away. So it's like, okay, you're setting a you're setting a bad example for us here. <laughs> Um, you know, she would probably say it was harder for her because she had to deal with teachers who, you know, were going off their impressions of me sure. rather than her. And like, she's a good student. And I was like the classic smart, but want to get away with things. So yeah. Same. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah you know. And my dad worked for IBM. Wait a minute. Yeah. We have the same <laughs> story? yeah wait, <laughs> so when you were, when you were in high school, what were you interested in? I got into journalism in high school. Um, so school paper? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But not till I was a senior. Okay. And my the teacher, Mrs. Benson, who did that, was great. Okay. Um, yeah. Benson, not close. Bankson. I know. It's yeah, close. exactly, close. exactly. Bank, and this Bankson. was this was just getting into. This would have been eighty nine. It was late eighty, so it was just starting to do newspaper like on the on a Mac. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know the the person who was the editor of the year before had graduated as people are want to do in high school. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I kind of got sucked into doing a lot of the layout and other stuff like Whoa. that year. Um, so there was actually a shift like in my college application. So I was a Boy Scout. I was actually an Eagle Scout. Nice Ooh. ladies. Yeah. Any so, ladies listening? <laughs> so when I started applying to colleges, I, w- I wanted to do some sort of outdoor thing like environmental science or whatever it was. Half my college applications were for that. And then I got into this school paper thing and was like, oh, the writing thing should happen. So like literally midway through my college applications, I swerved and started applying for journalism instead. So where does the journalism like interest come from, though? Were you I, watching like all the president's men was it, like, <laughs> or like the paper? You know, no, like, no, 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 no. I mean, or... I don't think I was that serious about it, like or, or involved in that serious aside. I mean. You know, I definitely wanted to do like entertainment skewed stuff or like sports or whatever. Like, yeah. I even when I was in high school, I started writing about or I covered like the high school basketball team for a local paper. Whoa. Um, I do like how Eric's initial impulse is just like, who are you trying game? to bring who down? No. <laughs> I mean, I probably should have looked into that a little more carefully. Like, that's a good. Yeah. What thing. scandals were happening in right, right, basketball? Right. There, there must have been some horrible scandal even at the school. That, yeah. You know, I could have brought out I, I don't know I mean I was always always into writing and English and whatever else like I had a my third grade teacher was also my fourth grade teacher it was a one of those things where I didn't get left back but she jumped ahead <laughs> right sure um and I think it was in in third grade like we had some like spelling bee against like the fifth graders or something and it's like I think it was in third grade I I could be wrong about yeah. this don't don't look me up and, you know, <laughs> Find out it's wrong again. But, that's uh, what this podcast is all about. Yeah, 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 yeah holes exactly. in your yeah. personal history. So, so they she did like this spelling baseball where you would like pick single, double, triple, home run, and whatever, like and harder, harder word or whatever. And while I've forgotten a lot about elementary school, I do distinctly remember picking a home run word, getting sphere, and spelling it correctly as like a third grader. So imagine you know, we did that, that, that at City Field, by the way. That's the home run derby that we did. There you go. There you go. I would have stood a chance at that, even against the damn pro lacrosse player. I bet he can't spell. <laughs> I have a photo of him thumbtacked. Yeah. I'm going to bring him down. Yeah. Um, spell depth. <laughs> spell my last name. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, that that somehow switched into like 
writing and journalism. And, you know, by the time I started actually looking at colleges and figuring out which one I was going to go to, I was pretty sure that's what I wanted to do. And was there some idea where you could sort of like split it where it would be like maybe an outdoor situation, but also get your writing in? You know, maybe there was um, somewhere where they had like a good journalism program in Colorado or Vermont right, or somewhere right, right. where you could explore. Of course, I instead went to Delaware, which right. I don't think has much of an outdoor <laughs> vibe. Um, they have golden hens. They, they, or yeah, blue, blue hens. Blue hens. Blue hens. Yeah. Yeah. Close enough. Yeah. They have hens. <laughs> Get outside, um, Jeff. Yeah. I, I also think like uh, I realized at some point that the whole, you know, science side of the environmental thing probably wasn't going to work out because I'm not a math person mm -hmm. or a science person per se. I took some of that stuff, but actually going into college, you had to test into a math course. I had to only take one math course as an English major, like whatever. <laughs> Somehow I tested into calculus, despite having not taken pre-calculus <laughs> and not having taken math at all my senior year of high school. And like, I had no idea what I was doing. You know, I, I don't know why I would have tested into that. Like, You're just a savant. I don't think I cheated on my entrance <laughs> test because that would be really dumb. Um, but I took calculus, took it my freshman year, first semester. And like, that was one of those moments where you walk into a classroom and it's one of those like giant... Um, what do you call it? Auditorium yeah. size classrooms. And you know, that first day I came to two realizations. Number one, I had no idea what, how I was going to get through this. And number <laughs> two, that there was no way they could take attendance every day. So yeah, I, <laughs> I, I barely made it through that. Did but. you, did you start writing for the school paper? Like right when you got to school? I definitely, I, I definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I started doing stuff like that. Like, I guess, did I, maybe I didn't actually write for the paper right away. I mean, I was definitely figuring out how to get into that and yeah. how to do that. Their paper at Delaware was twice a week, all student run, um, you know, very separate from the actual journalism, quote unquote, program. Right. Although I feel like, you know, in the long run, the paper was the journalism program. I definitely learned way more like doing stuff there than in any of the classes. I For took. sure. Apologies to the professors. Now, I went to Syracuse and I, I wrote for the school paper and it was 100 percent separate from school. It was like totally independent and it felt like. I wasn't a journalism major, but like, you know, I wrote for sports and I wrote for entertainment and but it just felt like its own ecosystem and totally just like we were getting away with something. And it, and but it felt legit, though. You yeah, know, yeah, because yeah. it wasn't part of school. No, it was legit. Like you were totally on your own. And it's like if the paper was going to come out on the day it came out, like you had to do it. And yeah. there were a lot of long nights and a lot of, you know, 7-Eleven trips at random yeah. times. And like, <laughs> um, you know, again, I was there at kind of a weird time where it's like. Everything starts getting produced on computer, but you're still literally waxing pages to paste them up, to ship them off to the printer. So it's like, you know, now I'm sure it's a lot easier where you're just laying it out on the computer. I think by the end of the time I was there, we were just laying it on the computer. But Well, now there aren't any newspapers. <laughs> <laughs> that is all very true. Now. Yeah. Damn it. Man. For our audience Bring listening, a newspaper. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, everything was changing really fast. And, you know, you're still kind of on the the proper technical like i don't know cutting edge of what's happening wh where something happening at a, at a real paper is kind of the same as what you're doing there so did you think that that was what your future sort of held for you i thought it was going to be something like that yeah i mean i didn't know exactly what i wanted to write about once i got out um you know i do remember like wanting to do entertainment stuff and being like you know wanting to write 
about like big time stuff or whatever, like and wanting to do record reviews or concert reviews or movie reviews and all that stuff. And like I did all that stuff back then. Yeah, you were able to sort of go to screenings. Or yeah, yeah, review. yeah. We, we we went to a lot of screenings. You know, I remember going to the screening of Zebrahead, like <laughs> Michael Rapport's first movie with yeah. Nas's first song in it. Yeah, and uh, we definitely, you know, there there was like a panel sort of thing with like the director who I forget who that was, but I'm pretty sure Rapport was there and Nubuche Wright and whoever else was in it. Um, you know, that was one of the good ones. I actually liked that movie, but we definitely reviewed a lot of bad movies. <laughs> I, I remember going to see like a screening of like Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. Oh, yeah. Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. And, that, uh, that classic. Uh, who who yeah. was who, which, Estelle Getty, I think, mm. one, of the, <laughs> one of the Golden Girls. Um, and it was one of those things where you're just like, I don't even know how this made it, how this got greenlit at all, let alone made, let alone released. But like that was the stuff I wanted to write. Like I wanted to write about bad stuff. I didn't want to like yeah. review good things. I wanted to like, you know, shit on everything, <laughs> like what I could. And there's definitely regrets. That that's kind of the good thing. And now like I feel like, you know, people are gonna go dig this stuff up now. Like I don't think any of it's online because we predated the internet by just enough. So someone would have to go back and digitize all of it. And I'm not sure if anyone's done that yet. But someday, like, you know, the, the things that people are going to find to be like, oh, well, explain why you wrote this. Yeah. Well, that's going to be my review of Check Your Head. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I was, oh, I, I was like really harsh on it. And really? as a as a Beastie Boys fan, it, like, somehow I missed Paul's Boutique or I skipped Paul's Boutique. Mm -hmm. And I, I think like because it got delayed so long and like they switched record labels or whatever else. And like, you know, obviously that album um, has gotten much treated much kinder through time. Sure. I, I feel like even back then people didn't know what the hell they were doing. <laughs> um, so for me coming at Check Your Head for basically straight from License to Ill, like yeah. I was just like, what is this? I, I don't know. The vocals are all down <laughs> and like. And I remember, like, I wrote about it and was, like, such a smart ass, like, basically like I was the Beastie Boys yeah. from License Hill. Yeah. And someone from, like, one of the local bands in the area wrote a letter to the and was like, what are you talking about? Like, you're an idiot. And I think we ran the guy's letter. And I'm pretty sure, like, even then I was like, oh, man, I've made a huge mistake. Damn. But, yeah, that's going to be the one that, like, completely takes me down one day. Right. The reason that you can't run stuff. for president. Yeah. Right, right, right. Or at least can't write about hip hop anymore. Yeah. Well, where do you think your point of view comes from? Hmm. That's a good question. I mean. Another good question. I know. Two I for know. two. Yeah. You're going to have to come up with another one soon. Um, How do you pronounce your name? <laughs> I mean, some of it's definitely growing up in the suburbs and some of it, you know, so, a lot is uh, definitely dictated by that. Um, you know, I don't know. Some of it's probably like trying to make up for it even or, or like, you know, obviously since moving to the city, like I've been in the city now for 20 something years. And it's like whenever you meet people who are literally born here, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm not really a real New Yorker yet. <laughs> you know, it's like even though I've been in the city as long as some quote unquote real New Yorkers yeah. have been alive. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's discovering like public enemy in the late 80s, like in the suburbs where I had like, you know, my high school, I think, was like probably ninety nine point eight percent white. You know, it's like and realizing like there is this. Other these other things out there, you know, hearing like nation of millions for the first time was just like holy shit like and it i still feel like that when i listen to that record you know like 
I kind of came to hip hop through like, yeah, through the Beastie Boys and through like Run DMC. You know, I probably still have in my parents' attic like that original dubbed copy of Raising Hell I got from somebody. Mm. Um, you know, and then hearing that and kind of going, wait, they have other albums? <laughs> and like going back through that stuff. But I also go back to, you know, Michael Jordan. And it's so cliched, but like I can't remember exactly if like I discovered Air Jordans through Michael Jordan mm. or the other way around. It's it, it, it's it, it was both like kind of at the same time for me. And I grew up like a baseball fan. That was my parents' fault. Thank you for making me a Mets fan. Mom, right? <laughs> um, but you grew up at a good time to be a Mets forever. fan. Yeah. 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 I mean, the earliest days, not really like there. The, there's definitely photos of me in photo albums, like going through baseball cards in like 1979, mm -hmm. maybe. Like I probably knew who all the Mets were like that early, 78, mm. 79, when they were still terrible. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it was a good time because soon afterwards, Strawberry and Gooden in like 86. Keith Hernandez like, in like 82 or whatever, right? Yeah, I mean, I got to see them turn into a juggernaut when the when the, the Yankees were kind of garbage. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like I caught the tail end of like really good Yankee stuff in like 78 with Reggie and, you know, all that. And I still loved Reggie Jackson, still do. Yeah, I mean, my parents were baseball fans. So basketball was one of those things that I kind of picked up on my own. Like they had no idea what was <laughs> going on with that. Um you know, so I felt like that was kind of my own thing. And like, it's funny, my friend Chad, who became a lawyer, he grew up in Long Island. Um, he was a big Dominique Wilkins fan. I was a Jordan fan. So like literally every year we go to like two Knicks games and sit in the 400 level and watch like Jordan score 40 on the Knicks, watch Dominique score 40 on the Knicks. You know, it's like in the late 80s. Right. Um, and I remember defending Jordan to people to be like, yeah, he's, you know, because that was the whole like, oh, can he win a championship? And it's yeah. like, well, yeah, I think he can. <laughs> And by the time I graduated high school, he hadn't. But obviously, in short order, they did. So you weren't even like a Knicks fan? No. Cause like, I was definitely never a Knicks fan. I never wore Jordans because I was like, I'm a Knicks fan and I cannot wear. Yeah. Also, they were expensive. Jordan. But yeah. really, it was just like that. But you, you know, you went to you went to the basketball powerhouse university. <laughs> so yes, but like, yes. would you watch like nationally televised games? Were you like looking for those Bulls games and like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely look for those Bulls games. And back then, that's when like WGN or whatever became like one of the super stations. Yep, so you yep. could actually could catch Bulls games. Yeah. Um. So I definitely remember seeing a lot. I remember hearing stuff on the radio. Um which is kind of quaint, but basketball. <laughs> Listen, we're talking about newspapers and radio. Basketball is <laughs> a cool sport on radio, though, because there's so much going on. So, um, and then, you know, obviously through there, got into like college basketball and stuff. Obviously not just Delaware. Right. You know, we were, you know, we, we had our moments <laughs> sort of aside. Like, so when I'm at Delaware, we made the, we made the NCAA tournament for the first time. Wow. We're all super excited. I bet. Like, yeah, we're going to. We're going to do whatever. I don't think anyone had <laughs> illusions of winning the whole thing. But, you know, sure, we could have a first Yeah, what upset. conference were, was Delaware so in? We were, it was America East. Oh, we, yeah. We've yeah, gone yeah. through, like, oh, all yeah. different rivals. I went to BU. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We would <laughs> fuck you up. <laughs> so we had, like, but Hartford was in there with mm -hmm. when Vin Baker went there. Yeah. And, yeah. Like, there was this kid named Eddie Benton who went to Vermont who was really good. Mm -hmm. There knew? were some, like, SUNY schools. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So we make the tournament that first year, and I think, we were, I think we were a 12, maybe. So, like, you know, 4-12, that's doable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the four seed we were going to play is Cincinnati. Cincinnati, they murdered us. <laughs> I was going to say literally murder us. I'm like, that's nah, not right, literally. Right. But it was literally, like, so our point guard was pretty good for the America East, this kid named Brian Pearl. 
that game, I remember like we all gathered in someone's house to watch. Like we're all excited. We're going to tape it. By halftime, I think we stopped <laughs> taping it. And I'm pretty sure at some point we turned it off. Cincinnati beat us by like 50. And like our point guard would cross half court, get trapped, and throw the ball away. And this happened like 10 times in a row. It was literally like, I don't know if I've seen a worse beating before. The and difference as, between making it to, oh, <laughs> to half. That Cincinnati team like made the final four that year. Oh my God. That was Nick Van Exel. Yeah. It was Corey Blunt. It was a bunch of these dudes who ended up being first round picks. And it's just like, realizing the difference between like, yeah, between like a decent college team, like yep. out of a small conference and like, a monster team in like a big <laughs> conference. Yeah, we were just so demoralized. I, I think like the next year maybe we played Wake Forest or the next time we made it and we actually made it a game. Wow. And it was like, oh, this is this is what we should do. But yeah, that first time was like it was just so traumatizing. We were just, you know, blood thrown to the sharks. And it was just It was like a third versus fifth grade spelling bee. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Except with the opposite result. It was it was it was a nightmare. Um so you graduated having having earned a degree in? In English slash journalism or right. whatever. Yeah. And really <laughs> valuable now. But but at the time were you like, oh my path is set and I'm gonna go get a job straight out of college? Yeah, yeah. I was pretty sure like, oh yeah, I'm gonna get with some like magazine or some whoever and yeah. like I, I've I recently found like the folder where like I got responses from people and like you know most of them were the same they were very encouraging and mm -hmm. like no we're not hiring you like, so you would send them like writing else. samples yeah where yeah, did, yeah, where did yeah. you apply clips to clips and everything else I remember applying to like hit parader or circus or one of those like metal magazines <laughs> which I think was all about access you know it's like they wanted to hire people who were like friends with the bands who could obviously talk to them and yeah. I was like well if you put me in touch with people I can write stuff and they're like yeah no <laughs> um I don't even remember who all else. It was a ton of different places, though. I mean, it was probably like Rolling Stone and, mm -hmm. you know, places like that. And I guess that's when I realized the value of an internship, mm -hmm. which, of course, I didn't do in college because I was lazy. And um, <laughs> had I done that, maybe I would have had a better shot. Instead, so straight out of college, I worked for this paper called the Oxford Tribune in Oxford, Pennsylvania. Where is that? It's Pennsylvania. Like, <laughs> no, huh. thank you. Yeah. This um, is going to be a running joke. Google map this. <laughs> It's actually really close to the Maryland border, so it's kind of like... Where is that? <laughs> Maryland. <laughs> so it's kind of below Mason-Dixon line, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. Very, very, very small town. Um, the circulation was like, I don't know, 1,200. Wow. It was literally a husband and wife who I think one of them had gone to Delaware. Like I, This was literally like a favor sort of thing for yeah. one of the professors to be like, you guys should hire this kid. And it was like a do everything thing. You know, I remember taking their car to drive to the police station to like get the police reports or like develop photos or take photos occasionally. Wow. I, I, there's definitely a newspaper somewhere with photos I've taken in it. Wow. And, you know, cover a lot of those like school board meetings and town hall meetings. The biggest memory I have of that, I forget which one it was, whether it was school board or town hall. Doesn't matter because they were both the same. They were both super boring. <laughs> You're there to get minutia. You have to stay to the end. And it was the night Michigan played North Carolina in the NCAA final. The Chris Webber timeout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he, I go to this thinking, like, oh, I'm going to get out in plenty of time to see this game. And, you know, obviously pre-social media, pre-everything. I don't think I got a cell phone for like five years after that. Yeah. And sitting in the back watching my watch and watching the clock <laughs> and like, oh, here's tip off. And... 
people start leaving and eventually people like literally on the board start leaving but like it's not over and <laughs> one of them at least left and made a joke about going home to watch the game and i'm just like this sucks like what am i still doing here because i was like a 45 minute drive from where i was living i was still living in delaware um oh my god well you weren't even a, a local like you weren't like even living on the, not, the not, in the community that you're covering Right. Scan <laughs> another potential scandal. Yeah. yeah. Um, but eventually, you know, it ended and like I raced home and I, I'm pretty sure I did make it in home for the timeout. Wow. Like I saw the very end and I was a Carolina fan. So like, you know, as much as I wanted to see the Fab Five do well, because obviously what they meant. Yeah. Um, I was still rooting for Carolina and I feel bad for Chris Weber, but <laughs> yeah, I sure. felt most bad for me because yeah. I missed like most of the game. <laughs> So how long did you stay out there in, in Oxford? Oxford. Uh, I think I was at that. I must have been at that paper for like a year. I mean, it, it wasn't a super long time. Yeah. Um, it was long enough to realize like that was definitely not the path I wanted to do. Like mm -hmm. I didn't want to, you know, I guess back then, like that was the path. Like you did this little community writing and like built up to bigger and bigger things. And it's like, you know, I still was more interested in doing like, more of the the entertainment sports like non essential modes. I, I didn't want to like eventually come to the New York Times and cover school board meetings. Right, right. Um, <laughs> so I ended up getting hired at this place called Big Shout. Great name. Yeah. Entertainment Rag in Wilmington, Delaware. Okay. That was the um, big city. The big city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, essentially, like Wilmington's version of like city paper. You know, like it was an alt weekly that was a monthly. It was like an alt monthly. Um, That's the most alt, by the yes, way. Yes, yes, yes. We're going to do it monthly. You know, super small staff. We could do whatever we wanted, um, except get paid on time. <laughs> I forget how much they owed me by the time I left, but it was substantial. Um, and, you know, I dealt with a lot of stuff back then where it's like on the good side, my rent, I think, was like literally like $300 a month in like this renovated apartment in Wilmington. Um, but those are 90s dollars. <laughs> 90s dollars. And 90s journalism dollars. Mm, yeah. You know, the bad was picking which utility to pay that month. Like, mm -hmm. oh, do I want to get my phone cut off or my power? <laughs> I guess I'll pick the phone. Right. Or cable. Yeah, we'll, we'll lose cable. Um, so that definitely happened a few times. And the, the capper of it all was one night coming home from something i don't remember what i actually got robbed at gunpoint on the steps of the build of the building i lived in oh my god um that was kind of the end of wilmington for me that was like all right i'm i'm cool with this like my building was was decent but i definitely bordered on like the bad side of town i was literally a block from like the turnpike yeah so like you figure like that's probably not the best area were you um, like in that moment, or I guess after after that moment, were you like, what am I doing here? After, I was definitely freaked out. At the moment, it wasn't even that bad. It was like, you know, it was some guy asking me for directions to some place. And I, like, took a half a step down to, like, talk to him. And he took half a step up. And I looked down, and it's like, he's got, like, a revolver. And it's like, cool. Um, and I just remember, like, literally turning around to let him take my wallet. I was like, I'm not even going to reach for it. Like, wow. I don't want to do that. Um, biggest loss of that, I had barely anything in it. But I had managed to somehow keep my student ID through my entire period at Delaware, which was like a miracle. <laughs> and that, of course, was the end of that. Um, 
certainly never saw any of that stuff again. Yeah. And All your student discounts. Yeah. I mean, at like the I student union. Lo- I needed that for like years to come. Yeah. yeah. I immediately started looking for another place and ended up moving back to Newark, like back to where the college was. Yeah. Newark. 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 Yeah. And literally, in, <laughs> literally in that process, before I'd even fully moved out of Wilmington and fully moved into this other place is when I ended up getting a job at Slam so in New York. did you, am I correct, you went to school with Jeff Perlman? I did. Was his path anywhere similar to yours, where it was like small town paper to eventually get to the big it, city? It, it was similar. He was responsible. Um, he took like the... Oh, in general. You, you could look, Yeah, you could look at us both and like do what to do and what not to do. I'd be what not to do because I ended up starting at this like super small thing. Jeff interned with a bunch of big places, including the Nashville Tennessean, which who ended up hiring him straight mm. out of school. Um, and I think if you talk to Jeff, and you probably should talk to Jeff. You we should probably be talking to Jeff right now. Um, Wait, get him on the phone. <laughs> Hold on. Um so Jeff got this Tennessean job, and I, I think he would he would concur with this and would probably tell the, a similar story, but better. Um, <laughs> you know, he kind of thought like, oh, I made it. And just was, you know, pretty arrogant coming out of school. And as you would be, you're 20 years old working for a, a major daily. And I think they were like, yeah, no. Like, because he wrote a couple things and they were like, yeah, you can't do this. So wow. he got shifted to like, the police beat. Yeah. And I think he, you know, he would acknowledge, and I'm not, here I am doing the Jeff Perlman interview. Um, <laughs> you know, that kind of helped him get to where he eventually got mm-hmm. and where it is now when he's writing a book every year. Yeah. And like, you know, seeing him on the New York Times bestseller list is pretty awesome. Totally. For someone, you know, I lived with in a connected studio in New York <laughs> and we watched like the new Chips series <laughs> and literally every one of Magic Johnson's talk show. Oh, and we still yeah. talk about that. Like, All that like was, six the magic episodes. hour. Oh, yeah. it was incredible. It was incredible. I just remember watching that Howard Stern episode and like cringing <laughs> for magic, being like, dude, what are you doing oh, to yourself? There, there's literally a book in that somewhere. So uh, maybe Jeff will write it. Maybe Jeff the, will yeah, write yeah, it yeah, and yeah, I'll be like, Times, damn it, yeah. why did I pitch this? So, so you, you get the job with Slam and that means you move up here? Yeah. Yeah. It was, that was a weird thing because, um, while I was in the midst of moving was when they decided to get in touch with me. Like, so I'd done a few things for them. I had bothered them nonstop. <laughs> I probably still have those too. Cause I'm a bit of a hoarder. Like I probably still have like fax cover sheets from sending stuff to wow. them. Um, and this is all like front of book stuff or this is like actual like article. This was like front of book stuff. I yeah. mean, I pitched them all kinds of wild stuff. Like I remember hearing about probably through one of their issues that, um, the that Air, the Jordan was going to retro like the one and three for the first time and the two. And I was like, oh, man, I got to find a way to get these. And how else should I by going through, you know, this publication? I'll write about this stuff. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, slow your roll, dude. <laughs> um, but they had a pretty small staff, too. And I'd gotten like a few front of book things. I wrote a little thing about Sean Bradley that literally like I probably wrote like 900 words and they ended up running it at like 80. It was one of those things where I think I flipped through the front of the book and I'm like, wait, aren't I supposed to be in this issue? Oh, there it is. It's the size of a stamp. Great. Thanks, guys. Um, so as long as they spelled your name right. Yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. My name was like literally half the piece. So, you know, it had to be. Um, so someone there left or they were going to hire another person and they and they wanted to hire me because I guess I'd bothered them enough and they were happy enough with it. But I was between addresses 
and like my phone had been cut off. So like they tried to get in touch with me and couldn't do it. So this was like just before Christmas, I think in like 95, I'm going back to the Wilmington apartment to get another load of stuff and there's a FedEx for me and it's from them. And they're like, yo, we've been trying to reach you. Like you need to call us. I'm like, all right, I don't know. Wait, where um, was the FedEx? Was it just like on the doorstep? It must have either. It was either on the doorstep or they showed up while I was there. Maybe I can't remember exactly which, but um, I called them and they're like, yo, like we just want you to take an edit test and send it back or whatever. So I got that. And I think I did that over the Christmas holiday at my parents' house on Long Island, sent it back. And they're like, yeah, we, you know, we want to hire you. Wow. So I went from like moving all my stuff into this apartment over a skate shop in Delaware, which, which would have been fun um, <laughs> to moving it all like back to my parents' house to then look for an apartment in the city. Yeah. And that's how I ended up moving in with Jeff. Cause he had just gotten the sports illustrated job. So he was looking for a place too. And like, wow. all right, cool. We'll just find a place together. And uh, we moved into the, a place above a Chinese restaurant on the upper East side on like 76th street, oh. something like that. So, and, and slam at that time was Harris publications, Harris publications on 23rd street. Yeah. 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 You know, like we were just a little part of this huge sprawling office that also produced like gun magazines and Vampirella, <laughs> you know, like and crossword puzzles, like weird, 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 like place. Was the Christmas but party very strange? The Christmas party was strange. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it ended up being big, you know, if it was just a slam Christmas party, it would have been like five people. That yeah. would have been very awkward. Yeah. Um. So, you know, being Harris, like made it more interesting. <laughs> Uh, and a lot of people you didn't talk to very much, mm -hmm. and then you got to see drunk. But <laughs> so, what was your sort of like eye-opening moment once you stepped into that office? You know, man, that's hard. I, I don't know if there really was one specific one. It was definitely a lot different going from like this complete DIY like monthly thing where it's like we would literally drive pages to Maryland to get printed. And drop them off at like, you know, God, eight in the morning or whatever, and then go straight to the bar yeah. um, <laughs> on the way home. But, uh, and wait for them to get printed basically, and then go pick them all up. Yeah. To this, which was obviously way more of a professional operation. Um, you know, and I think this was obviously the first time where it's like, oh, this is like, we're really serious about this. Like, you know, we're going to read each story three times before it goes to layout and then read it three times in layout. And like, you know, by the time it actually gets printed, like literally a month later, you're like, I never want to read this again. <laughs> like, this is cool that I wrote this, but like, I'm so sick of it mm. by the time it comes out. And I think, you know, that kind of became the norm. You know, that's what I got used to eventually before the Internet came and took all the magazines away. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it was a much more like actual professional thing or like and there would be things like, you know, before the whole NBA photography library got digitized, you know, we would go to Secaucus to like NBA entertainment oh my God. and flip through like files of slides and prints and stuff. And it's like, you're looking at these prints from like the ABA from like the seventies. That's like, so dope. Damn, this is amazing. Like I wanted to spend like days there. Yeah. And that ended up being one of my responsibilities early on. So it's like, Oh, I'm psyched to do this. What was your first position there? It was just senior editor. You know, no, none of those titles mean anything. <laughs> yeah, wait, they're like just All right, senior editor. Yeah. yeah, but like you know, there was no junior editor. It was like you're you're senior <laughs> editor, or you don't work there. Yeah, you know? like the person below me was like the intern. So it sounds great. It looks good on a masthead, but you know, it didn't really mean much. What was the first piece that you worked on that you were just like, wow, I can't believe that my name is in print. I 
I put all this work in and there it is. I can go to a newsstand and actually pick it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, there were there were a couple. I mean, like the first, like I think, feature I wrote maybe was on like Clyde Drexler. Wow. Um, and I didn't even talk to him for it. Like oh. I barely. <laughs> it was had a right around on Clyde yeah, Drexler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is kind of embarrassing, given that I've talked to him a bunch since then. Yeah. Like it wouldn't have been that hard. Um, way, that's a cool flex. Yeah, but, but one yeah. of the, I is mean, is this Portland Clyde or is this? Houston this would have been Houston Clyde. Okay. This would have been Houston Clyde, and I ended up having like a string of stories where like I had to cover people who didn't want to talk to me. Like, so there's two in particular that were right around the same time. Houston Scotty Pippen. Okay, and like I'm super psyched as a Bulls fan. Like, yo, Scotty Pippen. Like, I get to write a feature on Pippen, and like. Of course, though, like I'm young, I want to talk to him about the Bulls, and like he wanted to talk about the Bulls, not at all. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, we had a lot of very short conversations where he would agree to talk, and I would ask him something about Chicago, and he'd be like, I don't have time right now. <laughs> but back then, when magazines actually had money, like, you know, I was in Houston for like, I don't know, like four or five days. So, like, it was like two games and three practices and a shoot around, and like, you know, I was just there all the time. So, I ended up talking to everybody else. You know, and this is like Hakeem in Houston and Barkley. Yeah. And like, I remember Barkley coming into the locker room one day, like after I'd been there for a few days already. And he's like, you're here again. <laughs> like, why don't you go home? I'm like, all right, I made it. You know, and it's like you're seeing him leave after games and pick up like three, like 16 ounce, like buds on the way out the door. Um, you're like basketball. <laughs> yeah, no. And like, uh, oh, man, who was it? Like the early days of like. Steve Francis and Catino Mobley, oh, okay. but they were yeah. like super young. But yeah, like so Scotty ended up being kind of a jerk the whole time, which, which is whatever. <laughs> Scotty's a little temperamental anyway, I mm -hmm, feel like. Mm -hmm. He's going but, through a uh, rough time right now. <laughs> yes, now, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, you know, it worked out. And then, but then we did, I did one on Gary Payton. And even before I went out to Seattle, like the PR person was like, he's not going to do it if it's not a cover. And we're like, yeah, well, it's not a cover. <laughs> and we're still doing it. Um, and I think maybe I was only there for one game and like a couple practices and like he didn't talk at practice, mm -hmm. but everyone else was great. And, you know, Nate McMillan was good. Brent Barry was great. Mm -hmm. The beginning of a long, wonderful friendship. Mm -hmm. um, and they were playing the Lakers and I went up to him before the game and I'm like, I know you don't talk pregame or whatever. I know, you know, I know you don't want to really talk about this stuff, but like, look, we're doing the story anyway. And he's like, you know what? Like. I'm going to talk to the group after the game. You're welcome to ask questions and I'll answer whatever. I'm like, all right, cool. We're good. So in the press seats watching the game and they're, they're like, they're winning late. I forget, you know, what the situation was exactly, but they end up blowing it. They end up losing at home to the Lakers and the Lakers like weren't very <laughs> great at this point. Like they should have won this game. And we all go in the locker room and we're standing around Peyton's locker and he just starts getting dressed and he's not saying anything. And there was certainly a there was a point along there where I'm like, he's not going to talk. He's just going to go home. And that's what he did. Like, he just got <laughs> dressed and went home. And I'm like, well, this was my one chance to get him. And I didn't. Uh -huh. So that was yet another, you know, complete write around. Mm -hmm. um, the other this was probably the best write around of all. So I've I love J.R. Ryder. Mm hmm. Jared, I've always been a fan, like since Minnesota, dunk yep. contest stuff. So he's on the Hawks. And I'd been trying to do a rider story for a while. And finally, we're like, all right, I'm going to go out to Atlanta and do this. And this was literally like when I'd first gotten a cell phone. And I didn't realize whatever plan I was on. Like, <laughs> my phone literally only worked in New York. Like, I get to Atlanta, I turn it on, and like, I got nothing. Yeah. Like, great. 
So I'm stuck to my hotel room. And Lang Whitaker, who ended up, I ended up hiring him at Slam, and like now he's off doing his own thing with the Grizzlies. Um, he was kind of my my guide in Atlanta. Like he used to go to Hawks games. He knew the Hawks guys. He knew Jr. a little bit. And at that point, like Jr. had been having issues with management. I guess that's the <laughs> polite way to put it. Um, so we go to this game, and like Jr. ends up being late again. And I had talked to a bunch of his teammates, and like. It was crazy. One of the things I remember, like, there was all this talk about him being a bad influence and, you know, being a terrible guy to have around. And it's like, I go into the Hawks locker room and his locker was right between the two rookies. And I'm like, <laughs> if this is literally the guy you want, like, not influencing people, why do you have him between, like, and it was Jason Terry, mm -hmm. who obviously got influenced into playing for 20, 20 years. years. <laughs> like, he's still going. And Dion Glover, oh who God. didn't last quite as long, yeah. but, you know. Um, and... I end up talking to a bunch of guys and JR is not there. I go to the other side and come out and Lang comes up to me like when the game's about to start or a little before when the locker room's closed. He's like, yo, like JR got there, but he's in the lock in the office with the coach and the GM and like they're yelling at each other. Like, oh, <laughs> this seems bad. Game starts. He comes out like 10 minutes into the first quarter in street clothes. Um, some point, you know, they're passing sheets around like later in the game being like the Hawks will address the J.R. Ryder situation following the game. So, you know, ridiculous story short, like he gets cut that day. Oh, my God. And like I was supposed to talk to him at practice the next day. <laughs> Clearly, he's not going to go to practice because he just got cut. Right. And I just remember like calling his phone and getting his voicemail and like we never talked for that either. Damn. And. It was like, it was a great place to be, but it was like, yeah, that was yet another like, all right, I guess I'm not talking to the primary subject. Hey guys, we just want to take one second to remind you that at itstherealcom slash shop, you can get our rhyme book, a lined notebook that is filled with It's The Real goodness. And you want to know what? what? People say that they want to buy regular mead notebooks nope. or five-star notebooks. Nope. And whatever bullshit notebooks there are on sale at Office Depot. Do not do that. Fuck that. Do not do that. Go get yourself an It's The Real rhyme book today. Listen, guys, you're better than that. Yeah. I, you know, sometimes you just want to hear that. You want to know that you are better than just a spiral notebook. This is a bound notebook. Mm. Mm. Okay. Yes. Tell them. This is, this is not one of your normal school notebooks. No. Show off. Yeah. Like when we talk about like that G class. Yeah. We talk about that, that Rolls Royce. Yes. Of notebooks. <laughs> That's what this is. This is the Maybach. M -m 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 Maybach. No, 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 notebook. <laughs> That's what this is. So go get that notebook. Time wasters, quotes from the podcast, lots of space for you to write down. No, it doesn't even matter about that. Everything in your no, life. No, just people. Just like, look cool. You're going to look cool when you hold this thing. Write out. Rhyme book. <laughs> Rhyme book music. <laughs> and now back to the podcast. What did you get from going to NBA practices? That was just the chance to really get time with guys. You know, like... Before a game or after a game, it would eventually lead up to like a lot of big time guys wouldn't talk at all pregame, period. You know, that's and I don't know if that was Jordan's fault or like people following his lead or like, you know, they just didn't want to. Like Kevin Garnett literally would not talk to you pregame. Like mm -hmm. some guys like they wouldn't do an interview, but you could like just talk to him. Mm -hmm. 
KG, like, nothing. <laughs> and, like, even when I got to know him, like, he would walk in and, like, punch me in the chest, basically, when he walked by. <laughs> that was his acknowledgement. <laughs> but he wouldn't say anything. But then post-game was always a crapshoot. You know, mm. if they had a bad game or if their team lost, like, you're not going to get much out of them. And for us at Slam, like, especially earlier, because that was before we had a website, and, you know, you're literally just there to get stuff for something, like, now you use literally everything you get. Yeah. But back then, it's like a, a side conversation with someone like, you're not even going to tape it because mm-hmm. like, what are you going to use it for? So we'd have to not only deal with players who'd be upset, but then you have beat writers who clearly needed whatever they could get that night. And we're just like, well, whatever. We're working on a story a month out and we want to ask some random stuff. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, it was always a bit of a challenge. Practice was a little easier because... You could just grab a guy. There were fewer media people to deal with. Yeah. Guys are more likely to talk about random stuff. Um, one funny thing with Lang, I remember he was at a Knicks game to do a story on Rashid. And I forget whether he was on the Pistons at that point or on Detroit. And Wait, that's the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> the Blazers <laughs> yeah. for Detroit. So Rashid, again, he didn't talk pregame. And she's like, no, I got you. I got you postgame. And postgame comes around and she did... You know, he was always a guy that the rest of the media went to and they all went to him. And he's like, no, I'm only talking to him, pointing at Lang. And this super uncomfortable thing unfolded where she literally would answer all of Lang's questions. And the rest of the national media is assembled around she needing quotes about the game. But he wouldn't talk to any any of them. (laughs) So at one point, Lang, like. Because all these guys are around, he started asking Sheed questions about the game, even though he didn't need the stuff for like what he was working on. But he's just like, maybe if Sheed talks about the game, these people will go away. <laughs> and eventually they did. Um, but I feel like we had a lot of moments like that just because like at the time, like the pre-blog era, you know, us, us at Slam were the, the people they could relate to. Yeah. We were mm-hmm. the guys closest to their age and like interested in the things they were interested in. So... You know, rather than being a, a 55-year-old white beat writer. Right. Um, so we could have conversations with these guys. So, like, you know, when the Lakers and Kobe came to town, like, they wanted to talk to us or Iverson. Yeah. You know, I remember when we did the first Allen Iverson cover when he was on the Sixers, um, the Who's Afraid of Allen Iverson. Yeah. I remember, like, bringing an issue to him in the locker room, and I gave it to him, and he gave me, like, a hug. And it's like... <laughs> wow all right like these guys are like psyched about this like to have this outlet yeah so just that aspect of it back then was was amazing was there a chip on your shoulder in terms of like the bigger publications like that you guys were like the underdogs that you guys had a different point of view right as opposed to like more establishment places like sports illustrated or sporting news or wherever else yeah i mean we were i mean and we were different too you know it's like we were almost like an entertainment publication for basketball because we would do shoots with these guys and like you know, they'd be excited to do it, like to be on the cover. And like, it eventually became sort of a running joke about like mean mugging on the cover. You know, it's like, oh, you're not going to smile for a slam (laughs) cover. Um, You know, and there were there were certainly difficulties with getting some of this stuff done with certain people and at certain times. But, you know, that was more just an aspect of like, that's how they were. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember to go back, you asked about the one moment, like, and the first cover story I wrote and the one I'm still like the most psyched on was the Allen Iverson blowout when he had the fro. Yeah. 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 And, uh, it's weird. I don't remember exactly why I didn't go, but like I wasn't at the cover shoot, but I remember Tony Gervino, the editor in chief at the time, like tell me about it. And like, 
he was like seven hours late. <laughs> and it's like, that's like literally like, I don't think it, you can, I don't know if you could be more late than that <laughs> because certainly it would get canceled. Yeah. Um, but we were shooting him at the same time as like the source was doing their sports magazine mm. and we were both shooting him that day. And we had this idea to do that Dr. J pose and do the blowout. And, but we didn't want anyone else to really get that. So we had to hire his hair person to like unbraid his hair and pick it out for the shoot and then braid it back before he went in to do another shoot. Wow. Well, that's um, why he was seven hours late. <laughs> I mean, I, God knows what time he ended up finishing that. Um, the, the funny like continuation of that is for the next Iverson cover, I didn't write the story, but I did go to the cover shoot. Like I was the editor in chief at the time. Mm -hmm. And we ended up going to Philly to shoot him. And we dealt with like the Sixers PR, like, yeah, he's ready. He knows you guys are doing it. It's right after practice. So we go, we get set up in this room. It's Clay Patrick McBride, who had shot the previous one. Yeah. Um, he's amazing. Yeah, yeah great he's photographer. Great. He's great. Yeah. yeah. So we're all set up, all the lights, all of everything. We did test shoots and practice ends. And she's like, all right, I'll go get him. And she goes for a while, comes back by herself and is like, yeah, he left. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like. We drove to Philadelphia in a van. Like, we had all this photo stuff set up. And it's like, no one can call him or, like, go. And it's like, nah, he's just gone. Everybody has local plans just like you. Yeah. It only works in New yeah. York. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. like, I mean, I just remember, like, talking Clay down, I feel like, the whole ride back to be like, yo, like, I, I don't know. Oh like, it's God. not you. It's not. And the the epilogue of that was, like, the story was done. Like, we're already, like, this is the cover. So... He was like walking through the tunnel to go out for a game and they literally pulled him into a side room. Clay got like five frames. You know, it's like nothing. <laughs> but Iverson and God love, like every frame was good and every frame could have been a cover wow. and they were all different. Like wow. he was just great. Like I remember with other guys flipping through like a hundred shots and being like, nothing. I don't know what, I yeah. don't know what we're going to do with yeah. this. Like, this shoot is just awful. <laughs> and it's not the photographer's fault. It's right. just, like, they don't have it. But Iverson was just, like, you know, getting him in the room was impossible. Mm -hmm. But once you did get him in the room... That's so dope. He was incredible. Who's somebody who had the charisma to be a star but didn't have the skills to be a star that, that Slam was, like, totally behind? You know, I, it's hard to say. Like, I feel like... It's almost unfair to say he wasn't a star, but like Stefan Marbury could have been mm. a lot bigger. Mm. Starberry. You know, yeah. Starberry. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. Um, I mean, his talent was there. His, he had like the story, you know, obviously like he got game is essentially the Stefan Marbury story. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, he had the heart too. Like, and I think like he kind of got treated unfairly with some of this stuff. I remember it, it's really funny. Like, so, um, I'm probably blocked by a lot of people on Twitter, but Bill Simmons is one of them. And mm -hmm. like, I've been blocked by Bill Simmons since Twitter started. <laughs> um, and literally the start of our sort of animosity was when he was still the Boston sports guy. And he wrote something about Marbury. And I remember like sending him this impassioned email back, like really pissed off. Um, because at that point I was going to all these Nets games and God knows why. Um, <laughs> Because it was close and because not as many, it wasn't as bad fighting media in Jersey as it was in New York. Um, you know, but his whole thing was like, 
Steph doesn't want to win. He doesn't care about winning. He just cares about himself. And I'm like, dog, like you don't go to games. Like you go, but you sit in the stands. Like you're, you've never been in a locker room at that point. Like I am there. Like I see how Steph reacts if he scores 35 and they lose or if he scores 12 and they win. And like, dude is not like mad if he has a bad night and they win. Like he clearly wants to win. The Nets are clearly bad. Yeah. You know, like I don't think you can put this all on him. And I think, Right, but unfortunately, Keith Van Horn. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think a lot of stuff did get put on Steph that he didn't deserve. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he probably could have done a better job with some of this stuff. Everyone else could have done a better job. But, you know, it's, it's just luck of the draw to some extent where yeah. you end up. Um, although it is funny, like, so we did a cover with Chris Weber and Jason Williams in Sacramento. Mm. And... That was supposed to be a split cover. We were supposed to do those guys in the West and Marbury and Van Horn on the East. Hmm. And I did the story. I went to New York to see them in a preseason game. Like they each scored like 35. Like hmm. they had a great game. Like they seemed to be getting along well. And the Nets opened the season like one in 10. Oh. At, like right before we go to press. And it's like, we just can't do this as a cover. Yeah. And like we ended up doing the story. But like, yeah, <laughs> the, the, the chance of that would have been like, I mean, we did the Nets on the cover a couple times, right. but that would have been yet another one, I guess, local bias for us. But yeah. Um, so, how did you uh, ascend to being uh, becoming editor in chief? Oh, uh, I mean, that was easy. Tony Gervino, the editor in chief before me, left. Like, <laughs> no, I thought you were going to be like, I stabbed a bunch of people in the back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> not going to take power. you alive. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no. I mean, we were pretty small, and like he got an offer to run like the NBA's magazines to do hoop and inside stuff, and like. You know, I assume it was a decent offer. Like, I don't think he would have left otherwise. But he'd been there for a while. Um, you know, and I was kind of the the his protege. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I we viewed a lot of things the same way. We had similar backgrounds and things. Like, um, you know, I knew the voice at that point. You know, I was writing almost all of that noise, the little, like, one-liner things, which mm-hmm. I always say was, like, my training for Twitter. Mm-hmm. Like, that's where I knew I'd be good at that because I already did, like, a lot of just one sentence things Mm -hmm. um you know i was answering like reader mail or like and i'd written a bunch of features at that point so um there was a lot that was going to be involved and i was like man do i am i sure i can do this or do i really want to do this but like i don't know i mean since then i've realized that's every job well what's the difference between um just you know being a writer and working for people and being management well i think i mean that was it like you know at that point it wasn't a lot as far as managing people you know like there was a managing editor she handled a lot of the deadlines and stuff thank god because i'm terrible (laughs) at that stuff um and dealing with actually other writers but you know i think the biggest thing is like as a senior editor like i could make decisions or i could claim (laughs) you know credit for things but like you can sort of pick and choose and obviously when you're editor-in-chief it's like well this is all on you and there were a lot of like kind of especially then like sleepless nights where it's like oh man like i hope this guy doesn't get traded like we just shot him for the cover and it doesn't come out for a month you know or god i hope this guy doesn't like get hurt or fall off or whatever or you know god forbid get arrested or you know just something like i hope something doesn't happen and like in a way that was like uh what do i want to say like it 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 supported some of my like worst instincts like i'm terrible at like putting things off if you talk to my girlfriend or anybody (laughs) like i'm like the worst procrastinator and a lot of times with like 
the letter from the editor, which would always be the last thing to get written. You know, it's like I would want to push it as long as possible because I knew there'd be this huge gap. So it's like I want to keep it as close as possible to being like current. Mm -hmm. But like there was no way you could like everything was just. Oh, God, like, I hope this works. Yeah. The one that worked out great and it's still kind of my proudest cover was uh, Shaq and Kobe. And I remember like talking to the photographer, talking to whoever was talking to him, like, yo, like, get them to like point at their ring finger. And like Kobe didn't do it, but Shaq did. And Shaq has this really devilish grin on his face, (laughs) you know, pointing at his ring finger. And this was before they'd won a title. And they did end up winning that year. And like, it was a pretty safe bet. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like nothing's settled until it's done. I mean, ask the Warriors, I yeah. guess. <laughs> um, so like that could have been really, you know, that could have been a really bad one, but it ended up being great. Yeah. Can you talk about Shaq's energy? Shaq was amazing. I mean, Shaq is still amazing. Like I've, I've done things with him post-retirement. And like, I remember like I wrote the cover story on him when he came to the heat and like, I think I was on the phone with him for like close to an hour. And I think I asked like three questions. (laughs) Like he would just get going and you're just like, oh my God, like I don't need to change any of this. Like I think I ended up writing that one as an as told to because there was literally no other way to do it. Like he was just so like effusive about everything. And like he was just, I don't know, like Shaq. Shaq was one of those dudes who like came into the league as a brand. Like he w- he already knew like that's what he wanted to do. Like I remember that was it a New York Times magazine cover story on him, I think, when he first came to Orlando and like he'd already signed with like Reebok and Pepsi and you know, he was just one of those guys who knew right away like what he wanted to do and where he wanted to take things. Like it's a weird comparison, but Nigel Sylvester mm-hmm. reminds me a lot of Shaq, <laughs> where it's like they're great at what they do, you know, whether it's basketball or BMX, but they're looking at that as like a way to get somewhere. And they've both managed to like go and do it. Like yeah. it's been, it's amazing to watch people do that. That makes me think like, what would Shaq look like on a bike? <laughs> you remember the Taco Bell ad where he was on a bike? No. He was on a, oh my God, you guys need to look this up. <laughs> he did a Taco Bell ad. He's on a tandem with Akeem Olajuwon. Is this how big is that? It was bike? real, like oh, filmed or massive. is this print? No, it's filmed. Oh. <laughs> it's filmed at the end. They're like riding it and they have like propeller beams <laughs> on or something. I don't know who came up with the idea. I don't it's know genius. who sold it to yeah, them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that's the kind of thing Shaq would be like, yeah, let's do it. And Akeem <laughs> would be like, I don't know what we're doing, but sure. But yeah, I hope that bike is like in the Smithsonian or something. Um, obviously, Clay Patrick McBride, but who are some of the other amazing photographers you worked with while at Slam? Oh, um, well, Jonathan Mannion. Oh man, mm, yeah, you know, He's okay. like, yeah, <laughs> and, and him getting to do stuff like so. That's Shouts a, to Jonathan Mannion. Yeah, the first yeah. time I literally worked with him was doing this Kevin Garnett cover in Minnesota, mm-hmm. and we met up at the Mall of America, which I realized after the fact was probably a horrible idea because there's like eight <laughs> of each store in that place. There was like a Snoopy amusement park in the middle of it. <laughs> You know, somehow we find each other (laughs) and uh, we go out to Garnett's house to do the shoot. And he was living in this like non-gated, gated gated community. Like there wasn't really like security, but like the houses were kind of close. And I'm like, wow, like, you know, it's like obviously an upscale neighborhood, but it's like you're Kevin Garnett. Like (laughs) he at that point, he was building this huge like compound, which I think he might still have. Mm. I don't know how you sell stuff like that. Right. So. Um, he just didn't have it ready yet. And like his yard looked out on like a, like a stream in the backyard. He had a cage with his pit bulls in it. 
um, little circular driveway with a just a you know wheel around basketball hoop. And he I'm come, sold. I'll yeah, take yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But he came <laughs> That's out. How you sell it. He came out in his driveway like in full T Wolves uniform, which is super <laughs> surreal. But Jonathan, like at that point, had already done like reasonable doubt and DMX and all this other stuff. So he was in the habit of like to get guys you know, who maybe didn't know who he was, like he would show him his book. Yeah. And I just remember KG is like, you know, obviously like this upper Pantheon NBA guy flipping out over <laughs> this other stuff, you know, and like, that's so awesome. He was like, you know, DMX or whatever. And Jonathan's like, yo, I, you know, if you want to talk to him, I can call him. He's like, no, 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 like, don't do that. Um, but we spent like literally all day at his house and he actually left before we did. We were still like breaking down and he had to go to the Vikings game that night um, in his Ferrari, I think. Yeah. Um, As one does. Yeah. yeah, he had like a two-car garage, like a Ferrari and like a Range Rover, mm. whatever the NBA like starter kit was <laughs> with those. Um, but uh, the so he had one of those like or two of those like outdoor speakers that look like rocks. We're <laughs> shooting yeah, him outside. Yeah. Yeah. So he's playing Mob Deep the whole day. And it was murder music, mm-hmm. which was brand new. And he kept playing. I can't remember the name of the track. What's the track with Nas on it on that one? I don't know. Yeah, I don't Whatever. Yeah, yeah. All right. So he's playing that one over and over again to memorize like Nas's verse. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the day, I'd heard this record like a <laughs> hundred times. And I'm like, all right, I got to go get this. And I remember like driving to the airport. I see a record store. I pull over and I'm like, yo, like, do you have murder music or whatever he's like oh that doesn't come out for like two weeks <laughs> like you know kg was and he was getting i seem to remember like he had like envelopes from right like he was getting stuff from record companies that's at awesome. that point so like yeah um that's still like one of my favorite mob deep records probably partially because of that um, he just brainwashed you into loving it <laughs> i feel like that one's kind of underrated anyway was there an nba coach that you had a personal like affection for like just like Someone who was just really good to you. Or someone who you fucking hated. <laughs> <laughs> Most coaches were good. I mean, Popovich was always the one you were scared of. You know, and it's like, I remember being in a Nick game. I was writing something on Kobe. And like, definite like cold sweats. Like, man, I'm going to ask Greg Popovich this kind of open-ended question about Kobe. And like, he's going to murder me. <laughs> like, he's just going to, he's either going to shut me down or... You know, he's just going to give me a look that's going to make me never <laughs> cover a basketball game again. And he ended up being great. Well, like, he's like the most erudite, like woke. Yeah, like, yeah, amazing, yeah. And, and I think, you know, he kind of knows what people want or what people need. Like, I think some sometimes he is like overly hard on people where it's like, yo, this this is just some poor beat writer or some poor like, you know, local TV guy, obviously just trying to get a soundbite. And you're really giving him a hard time over something. Right. But... You know, I asked him some like super open ended Kobe question and he was like perfect. Amazing. Like he gave me this great answer. I maybe it was because I waited till everyone else left, you know, and kinda tracked him down. What, followed him home? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> followed him to his car. Yeah. Like, um No, most guys were good. Like I, I know like uh some of the local Jersey guys did not like uh What's his name? I hate when I forget names. Byron um, Scott. No, well, Byron Scott was terrible. The <laughs> Kentucky coach. Why? why oh, uh, yeah, uh, Cal Perry. Cal Perry. Yeah. When he first came to the NBA, was super young, super like full of himself. Yeah. Like, you know, was kind of a, a dumpster fire. Um, some of the Knicks coaches weren't that great. Like what? Our <laughs> Knicks. The, yo, you know who I was most intimidated by was Ewing. 
Wow. Like Ewing would come in the locker room like dribbling very aggressively <laughs> down the hall like you know to his chest and like Patrick Ewing's chest is up here yeah. you know all wrapped in ice he would go sit in his locker and be like tell the PR guy like all right I'm ready and like he would talk for literally like probably three minutes <laughs> and just be done and that was it and it's like I don't think I said anything to him for like the first like two years wow um which was good. Like the first time I actually ended up sitting down with him to talk to him, like he was great. Mm-hmm. And like, I think he remembered like that I didn't give him a hard time maybe, or didn't bother him. You know, I was harmless. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, that was kind of where we were at anyway. To, Do you find you know, that most of the guys would read clips about themselves? Yeah, I think guys would read stuff. And the thing is about slam and like, we would get a hard time about it from even beat writers where it's like, Oh, you guys are just like fans basically. And it's like, well, on the one hand, yeah, we kind of are, you know, it kind of there is a little access side to it, but there is also a side to it where, like, yeah, we're basketball fans first. Like, yeah. we weren't trying to hide that. I don't think. Um, you know, there were times that kind of played negatively with PR people. I remember like being in the visitors' locker room. I think they they might have been playing the Celtics. This is when the Celtics weren't good, mm-hmm. and there was some dude there who was on like a ten day, and we had done like maybe we had a photographer at games or something during that time. And we got a good shot of this dude and we wanted to give it to him. Cause it's like, yo, like you don't, you're not going to be in the NBA very long. Yeah. Yeah. And I went to give it to him. And one of the Knicks PR guys was like, Hey, I want to talk to you after the game. All right, whatever. He basically accused me of getting this guy's autograph. And I'm like, dog, like he's literally no one. Right. Like I'm in these locker rooms all the time. Like I'm not going to do that. Like That's I'm nuts. not that dumb. Right. Um, and, it ended up being okay, but like there was always like the weird tension sometimes with stuff like that, where it's like, you know, you guys are fans, and it's like we were aware too, like letting beat writers do their jobs. Like we're not trying to like, you know, duck in while you're trying to ask what it was like in the last play to be like, hey, do you remember college? <laughs> you know, like we, we would try and save that stuff. But uh, what's it like playing with Ray Allen? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Like Ray Allen, I would talk to him about what books he was reading because yeah. he would always have books with him, mm-hmm. you know, like, so you would try to find those little things or like, um, I remember one year it was either DC or Philly all-star. They were like back to back, I think. And, uh, I was in the West locker room and I was talking to Kobe and I just sat next to him and like, we're talking about whatever they were playing the nets, I think coming straight out of the all-star break. So it's like, we're just bullshitting. Like I'd known him, like I first dealt with him like when he was in high school high school at mcdonald's game and we're just talking and at one point i remember like looking up kind of i don't know to see who else is around or whatever and like the national media at all-star would move as like kind of a group (laughs) and like get each guy and they're all around us like waiting for kobe and i'm just like uh i'll I'll catch you later (laughs) we should let these guys do their jobs i guess but i mean that was always the fun part of it you know, it's like developing relationships with yeah. guys that you could turn into something else instead of like you wouldn't have to be confrontational from the jump. Right. Um, how did your time at uh, Slam end? Uh, it didn't end great. OK. Um, I think like part of it was the time. Part of it was me. Obviously, you know, I was still I don't know how old I was at the end of that. I mean, I was in my early 30s. I was been doing this a little bit like I was making a decent living for New York. Like and I think like. Whatever. Some of it was my work habits. Some of it was probably, oh, wow, we can replace this guy for like half of what he's making. Mm. Um, So, I mean, I'm still on good terms with all the people there. I understand, you know, why it ended. Um, And it ended up being, unfortunately, a weird time. Like, 
I thought like, oh yeah, I'm going to step right into something else. And this was in like the mid 2000s when the bottom fell out of everything. Right. Um, you know, I had like, there were situations like someone from SI hit me up and was like, yo, like we definitely want you to yeah. come here and write for us and do basketball and whatever else. And uh, I ended up meeting with like, um, I'm spacing on his name too, but like the big time editor there, like who'd been there forever and they were all psyched and were kicking ideas around. And literally like in that same week, like they found out like their revenues were way down from what they were and they were letting people go. And I'm like, okay, if they're letting go like their own writers, they're not going to pay me to do stuff. So, you know, that's one of the unfortunate things of that. Sure. Um, it's been way more interesting and way more, I guess, lucrative being a free agent now yeah. than it was in 2004. Sure. But was the next stop complex? Eventually. Yeah. 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 I mean, I did like I did a lot of things. Uh, you know, I did a lot of freelance back then. Um, I actually, it's funny, like I moved right from being editor in chief of slam to being like a contributing editor and writing for them. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of doubling up at that point early on. Like if I was smarter with money, I would have done a better job, but <laughs> you know, I was like getting severance from them and getting paid freelance when they were still paying a good rate for yeah. freelance. So like, you know, that was a good thing. But of course I stayed in my way too expensive apartment that would be expensive now. Um, way <laughs> on the Upper East Side? Should have. Still? <laughs> no, I was in like mid, I was in like, I don't even know what the hell the neighborhood is. I was on 30th and 5th. Oh. oh. So you were staying in the Empire State Building. <laughs> yes. Yes. You could actually. Way too expensive. <laughs> yeah. Like the Empire State Building was uptown from me. My window looked down, but you could see the Empire State Building reflected in the window across the street, which probably made my rent higher. Yeah. <laughs> so by the time you got to Complex, um, you're respected for your basketball knowledge, obviously. Um, you're respected for your shoe knowledge. Um, your beard? And your beard. Somewhat. Okay. It, it was a little <laughs> sketchy in those days, I feel like. Um. How much did you love or not love the internet? I mean, look, the internet was cool. Like uh, the internet had started kicking in like seriously when I was a comp when I was a slam and we hired Lang and like, you know, he was writing like one thing a day and that was it, it was that was a lot. It was, that seemed it like was a appropriate. Lot. Yeah, yeah. Lang's was like crazy. It was like, wow, we're we're writing something. And, you know, by the time I got to Complex, obviously you're doing like 800 things a day and like you know, getting chained to like uh, Google Analytics and whatever other like metrics. Right. Yeah. You know, and that that was obviously a big change, you know, because at Slam, it was more like, you know, the feedback came in the form of letters, a lot of which mm -hmm. came from jail and like, you know, people sending drawings and like, <laughs> you know, being super that psyched be the best, on things. By the way. Oh, it was like amazing. getting these like envelopes that just have like you know, the most work put into them. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You could tell people really cared about it. And, like, you know, we would try our best to, like, answer most of the ones we ran, at least. Um, and obviously, but the thing was, like, it was super positive, but it was super delayed. You know, yeah. you're getting letters about stuff. It's like, wait, I wrote that. <laughs> um, and to go from that to, like, this more, like, instant feedback yeah you know i was definitely slow to sign up to twitter i was just like what the hell is this like <laughs> why do i want to do this and thinking about that now is like <laughs> this infernal torture machine right. that i log into every Look minute of every done. day right. yeah yeah like thanks a lot <laughs> um but you know to go from the print thing to like you need to do x amount of stories a day and like we need to get x amount of traffic per month and it's just like 
wow, this is all right. This is insane. Yeah. Um, and it, especially in those days, I mean, there definitely was like this, you know, super focus on like, well, we need to hit this certain page view count. And right. it's like, if you're not close by the end of the month, that's when you start throwing everything overboard. And it's like, do this list of a hundred things <laughs> with a hundred pages. And, and even then there was like, wait a minute, why are we going to kill ourselves at the end of the month? when we could just like use this like to start the month and maybe like, you know, not be so far behind instead right. of like throwing everything overboard at the end and then the month changes and you're like, all right, now what do I do? <laughs> and it was just this super like, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious how history will treat those times. You know, sure. looking back and be like, what's wrong with you people? Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> you know, similar to the, the ever popular pivot to video, mm-hmm. you know, which was also part of this whole thing right. um, were there any stories that you wanted to do while at slam that you were able to do at complex i don't know i don't know if i really had stuff like that i mean i feel like would you get in trouble if you admitted it <laughs> no no i don't think so i mean the only thing was and the freedom of that was you know with the internet is like you know it's this it's this bowl with a hole in it that you're trying to fill every day so it's like <laughs> You know, you could write as many things in a week at Complex as you wrote in a year at Slam. I mean, right. Slam was very like, all right, we need to fill this portion of the feature well and this portion of this. And like, if you do write about this guy, you can't write about this guy until the next issue, which is a month and a half from now. And by then, who knows? So, you know, with Complex and with the Internet in general, it's like anytime an interview got offered, you could take it. So I think it was more of a case of like being able to reconnect with people who I knew through doing stuff at slam. And, you know, if it was someone like Alan Iverson, like, Oh, I have a history with this guy. So like, he's going to be more willing to open up and like, we have a starting point, which was good. You know, I think for a lot of those things, um, you know, I think especially in the early days of complex, there was definitely still that, well, if it's not in print, I don't know if we want to do it. Mm. Um, and, you know, if it's not in print, we're probably not doing like a photo shoot or whatever. And like, you know, I remember trying to explain to like publicists or whatever. It's like, no, this is going to be on the main page for X amount of time. And like this amount of people are going to look at it and you can actually find out how many people look at it. Yeah. As opposed to a magazine story, which is like, well, we could tell you what our circulation is. But what does that even mean? <laughs> you know, half those copies probably get pulped anyway. So right. like, who knows what that is? I don't it's know. It's at a dentist office. Yeah. And yeah, so, yeah. You know, 10 people for every one person. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So, you know, but there was definitely that awkward transitional phase when publicists knew print and that just wasn't the thing anymore. Totally. Oh, selling uh, artists on coming up here to the Upper West Side to sit in our apartment and talk for an hour was like the craziest idea like three years ago. Now it's just like understood. It's well, like, it, I mean, not 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 understood. <laughs> it's still like, wait, it's your apartment? And right. It's like, yes. <laughs> so, but it, it's New York, people. Come um, on. Yeah. I think you were very ahead of the time in terms of the video content that you would do with Clark on shoes. Do you feel the same? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I do. I do. And it's, that, a, it's a it's a hard hitting question. Right. Right. <laughs> but that was the thing like, you know, NCB came up with that and sold us on that. And, you know, I had known Clark a little bit like we did stuff for kicks and like I had spoken to him before and like we'd obviously run in some of the same sneaker circles. Mm-hmm. Can't believe I just said that. That's like <laughs> the nerdiest thing I've ever said in my life. Um, Ladies. But, <laughs> but I mean, I think we knew pretty early on that we were going to get along mm-hmm. and that, you know, we could turn this into something because, you know, even though we're both like kind of, I guess, elder statesmen of the sneaker scene, Clark will probably murder me for <laughs> saying that. Um, but, 
you know, we came at it from enough of a different perspective. You know, even now it's like, you know, Clark obviously gets stuff through the entertainment side and does stuff through the entertainment side. I was used to doing it through the media side, which mm-hmm. is, you know, a different thing. And we both grew up obviously, you know, being super into sneakers, but like from slightly different angles and with slightly different perspectives. So, you know, I think from the start, like we didn't need much prompting to make something that worked. You mm-hmm. know, we filmed those earliest episodes on 23rd Street in Mark Echo's like giant freaking <laughs> office with the basketball hoop and a kitchen in it. And also um, a giant rhino. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And like we didn't have to do much to have a uh, to have like a set because like he had all the bookshelves and little penny and whatever else. So like, you know, we would just throw a few shoes up and that was it and just kind of talk. Yeah. And like literally like the guests we would start getting like just came from Clark's Rolodex. You know, it's like, yeah, just call Spike Lee and yeah. get him to come on or call call Patrick, you know, get Patrick Ewing on here somehow. And like, you know, some of those, like I think Dikembe came through, it was through Adidas, but you know, they had relationships like Clark pulled Dikembe on stage, like at Georgetown or whatever it was, you know, when he was DJing and it's like, there was this natural entry point for all these people, you know, Spike, I knew from Nick games, you mm-hmm. know, from riding up the elevator with them, like at the garden or like, he's like one of those, you know, you always, People would always ask, like, oh, you're living in New York. Like, who have you bumped into on the street? And it's like, Spike would always be someone I'd run into sometimes. Be like, oh, my God, what are you doing out here? Um, So, you know, it was a very natural thing to get into. Uh, And I do think we were, like, ahead of our time, Mm -hmm. you know. And I think, you know, if that show was approached differently or, or if had it continued, I think we could have made more of it. You know, it's like I remember, like, having all these meetings where it's like, you know, the show is going to be like eight minutes long. And it's like eight minutes. Like we would talk to fat Joe for an hour. Right. And then it would get cut down to like four minutes. And it's like, what are you doing? Right. You know, or like, but that was at a time when everybody was like, Oh, well, everybody's attention spans are just going to be like 30 seconds. Right. And like the the sweet spot for internet videos is either two minutes or (laughs) nothing. Yeah. 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 No. And I remember even talking to people, like even when, you know, we were between seasons or whatever. It's like, yo, like, can't you release like the full interviews? Like they're all good. Like, you know, and we'd have stuff where like, you know, Swizz Beats came and he was on when we were in Brooklyn and we actually had, that was the, that was the magical year of Quick Strike where we actually had a real set. Set, Mm -hmm. And like, um, he drove there in his McLaren pulled into you know because i had like a garage door and pulls in in it and has like his (laughs) uncle or whoever yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. you know and it's just like all this stuff would have been good you know and instead it's just cut down to this one little thing and it's like whether it was him or or asap rocky or like i think like literally I, i still have it on my phone somewhere like the part i'm personally proudest of was the alicia keys like instagram promo for it where we pulled out the the roll the um the keyboard the big keyboard oh. style thing <laughs> and like made her do something with it and it, she was just so cool to like play along with it oh, like awesome. that was just like a great like it was almost like a this is sports center commercial yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. thing also you do know that the 23rd uh mark echo complex uh, you know complex yeah. is where they shot the interiors and exteriors for big right uh, for the toy company. which is yeah. which is crazy too yeah. yeah 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 um but yeah i mean we had three seasons you know i think like could things have been done differently yeah i think there were some like especially clark. like clark <laughs> more clark um 
especially like the last season where it got really irregular and like we wouldn't shoot for a week and Mm -hmm. then like you know it's like you wait four weeks and it's like what are you doing like you're just if if you were looking to actively discourage an audience that's kind of how you would have done it right so like you know that that stuff was kind of unfortunate but Whatever. Everyone was just figuring out video. What was the feedback like from from Nike or from Adidas or from any of the other shoe companies? I mean, I feel it was good. It was good. Like they would help out. They would send us stuff. I mean, I was definitely like, you know, that kind of became like and I had practiced with it from Slam where it's like you would hit up companies to send you stuff to shoot stuff for the magazine. And this was hitting up companies to send you stuff to talk about. Yeah. Um, You know, if we were to do it again, I think I would want to do something a little less. Uh you know, timely. Mm-hmm. I'd want it to be more evergreen. I mm-hmm. think like the interviews were pretty evergreen, but like the shoe stuff we talked about was like, oh, this is coming out next week, which unfortunately hurts when you're trying to be like, yo, why don't you guys go back and watch this again? You know, why would you when right. the first third of the show is about a shoe that would already be out and gone? Um, but I think that was the good thing about having me and Clark because we're both we're both older. We both had relationships with all the brands. So it's like if we're going to talk down about something, they knew like where we were coming from. They knew we're not just like talking shit about something to talk shit about it. Right. Like it actually had like a basis. Mm-hmm. Who's the Fox news of sneaker culture. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I don't know. There, I don't know if there's enough. Come on. You're freelance now. Programming. <laughs> you're not beholden to anybody. <laughs> who was, who, what's the Brad Hall? Was he like the super like nerdy unboxing guy who no one knew where oh, yeah, he came yeah, yeah. from or like, <laughs> what he was doing or why he was doing it. Like, you know, that was kind of funny. I, I think it's interesting now too, just to see like, you know, obviously the realization came around that the sneaker space is someplace that like everyone needs to be in. Mm-hmm. So like everyone's trying to do something with it now. Um, you know, I, I, I think like, you know, sneaker shopping, which became like kind of the the complex successor to us, like um, is good because it it's not a sneaker show per se. Like right. it uses sneakers as a jumping off point to yeah. talk about the same other way stuff. that like hot ones is not right. about wins. Right. It's right. about yeah the interview. Yeah. And I think it's that's about good. selling and sauces. I, and I think <laughs> if you get someone into a sneaker store, they're going to be more forthcoming about things. Um, you know, obviously, I think Full Size Run is doing what we were doing mm-hmm. essentially. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're able to do it in a longer format, in like a less edited format. Um, you know, and good. I'm glad someone's doing it. And I'm glad it's those guys. You know, it's like, you know, I wonder about Brendan's mustache sometimes. <laughs> but, you know, sure. Like, they're doing what they do. They enjoy it. You know, people seem to, I you know, go for it. I went and watched them do it live at, at ComplexCon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's cool. It's good to see, like, other people doing it. What was the most left field shoe collaboration that showed up on your desk and you were like, well, I guess I have to either talk about this or... Or I don't even know what to do with this shoe. Well, so I might have to think about that. There, I mean, there were, because there were obviously so many. And I feel like brands even now are trying to like sort of hit the brakes on collabs so much, I think. But, you know, and, and this is like a broad answer, but I feel like there there are so many that people are really scrambling to be like, instead of being like, yo, I have this idea and I have this shoe that I really love and I want to do this. Like, let's find a way to do this. Instead, it's like, wow, we have like 12 collaborations to do this year. Like, what are we going to do on this middle one? Yeah, Uh, I don't know. (laughs) Like, we got to do something. Um, And to be honest, like a lot of the bad ones like blend together. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like I can remember like good things, but bad ones are just like, oh my God, I don't want to even think about this anymore. (laughs) Um, 
Well, what do you do with shoes that you don't want? I mean, a lot of different things. I mean, I've definitely sold my share of things. Like mm-hmm. back in the back in the dark ages of the econ- the economic collapse, yeah. you know, I sold off a lot of things I'd accumulated in that slam era. We, we got Same. some like oh, yeah. we got some State Farm like plaid shoes for. Um, <laughs> oh my god! The, yeah, the I Jordans. The, yeah, the, that that was an unfortunate one. The Cliff Paul like yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, 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 we yeah, sold yeah. those for like a good amount. Really? Yeah. Mine people are still were hungry my, for. Mine are still in my storage unit, and I feel like <laughs> I. Do we missed... sell them to you? <laughs> no, I, I feel like, but I feel like I missed the um the time. Oh, I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Give it like ten more years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I have that much. Then time. they're gonna be hot, you know. Like, yeah, same with, be like, yeah. Those pizza hot ones were a bit of a nightmare too. <laughs> like, I appreciate like the shoe surgeon's work, and like I saw today, like you know, he has some Jordan One collab releasing, and it retails for like two grand. Mm. And it's like for him to do that shoe for Pizza Hut. I mean, I, first of all, I hope he never pays for a pizza again yeah, in his life. Yeah, yeah. You know, and second, or whatever I, Pizza Hut. Sells. I hope he got an enormous <laughs> check. Yeah. Um, I only just learned about the shoe surgeon like probably like a few months ago. And I find his work amazing. Like I, yeah, I yeah. just the ability to like remix these shoes and to also like have kids learning under his tutelage. Right. Yeah. We went we went out there and we did that Soul Origin series. Which, like, by the way, yeah. is fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you. It's Thank you. really really. I mean, well done. Yeah. I'd never been in his like actual studio before, and he's in this like sketchy neighborhood in L.A. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's like you throw up this garage door and be, and you're in this huge open space with all these sewing machines, and it's like. It literally looks like a place where they would sample shoes at a major company. Um, And I think they're running out of space there. They were talking about moving into a bigger space again. I think it's cool that guys like him really push, you know, what they can do and get brands to be like, yo, we need to step up our game. Yeah. Um, And to go back, like as far as bad collabs, like this this isn't specific. And I understand I I can be, but, you know. The ones that always kill me is when a brand like puts out literally like 50 collaborations of one shoe at the same time. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, yo, like, who do you, who's the market for this? Like, first of all, and second of all, like, are there really 50 different brands and people <laughs> who can do this? Like, I do feel like the people who do collaborate need to really pull back a little bit and be like, what is this doing for us? Like, what is this doing for anything? Like, does this really mean something or are we doing this just because like, oh, a brand offered us a shoe. We have to do it. Yeah. Right. Well, I did see like there was this article uh, in the Times about how it's Mickey Mouse's 100th anniversary, I think, this mm. year or something like that. Or I don't know. Whatever. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, we're collaborating with all these different fashion. Like they're, Mickey Mouse is going to be everywhere next year. Hmm. And Mickey Mouse is everywhere already. Right. Yeah. Like that's the thing too is like we'll these, get excited. These big anniversaries come up and people have already done things, or like you know it's like someone does a lot of stuff for like the the twentieth anniversary or something, and then you're like, well, th- isn't the twenty fifth anniversary matter? And like your twentieth anniversary stuff is still sitting around, and you did this huge blowout for it. So it's like, how do you go even bigger? And it's like I don't know. Well, I love that now. It's like everybody's celebrating every single anniversary. So it's like it's the sixth anniversary of this like minor album. <laughs> right, right, right. Like or, not or, even or like, like the third album from some artist, you know. But but also like the the whether it's Mickey Mouse or Peanuts or whatever else, like mm-hmm. they collaborate with everyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like my girlfriend yesterday showed me on Instagram this this like Snoopy thing, and I'm like wait, who is that? Like, who did that? And it's like a Snoopy champion thing. And I think it's Todd Snyder, but it's like, wait, didn't like Levi's just did Snoopy. And, you know, I, I don't even know who else. Like, Yeah, probably like Uniqlo, like everybody. And Vans did it. And, yeah. and like, or like there's a Hello Kitty shoe. And I'm like, wait, that's a Converse <laughs> one. But didn't Vans just do that? And it's like, 
I there's just too much. Right. There's yeah. definitely way too much. Right. And or like, conversely, not, not enough. enough. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Double <laughs> down. Double yeah. down. No, I. But I just read something by the you know the internet's biggest curmudgeon, Matt Powell, about like sneaker sales. Mm-hmm. I think he has me blocked on Twitter too. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> um, but. You know, he was writing about like athletic sales being down and sneaker sales being down and like companies really need to focus on like making quality product and whatever. And he's always been like a like, you know, it's just about quality and like good product is what matters. And it's like I don't think he understands like there's a lot of good product out there. There's too much. I have literally a ton of good product in my storage unit that people are welcome to make offers on, (laughs) you know, like. Including you, those Cliff Pauls. The Cliff Paul <laughs> CP3s. Like, you literally cannot buy everything that's good. Like, if you go on, and this is how I shop for sneakers these days, like, I'll go on, like, Bodega or mm-hmm. Nike.com and look through their sales site. And, mm-hmm. like, stuff that came out that I was like, man, I really want to get this the day it dropped mm-hmm. is on clearance. And it doesn't mean it's bad. It just means there's too much. Mm. You know, I think brands have gotten used to, in a very short period of time, going from, like, trying to sell like five pairs of a shoe in a year now they're releasing like 15 different pairs on a weekend yeah and it's like you literally can't afford to buy all this stuff no one can right you know the only people who can are the people who go buy it and then resell it mm-hmm. immediately mm-hmm. And like, and kicks. yeah yeah <laughs> who literally are like human ponzi schemes yeah you know it's like you just go buy a shoe for 200 bucks you sell it for a thousand and then you buy five pairs of the 200 dollars shoe the next weekend and flip those each for a thousand you know yeah so you're just keeping your money moving you're mm-hmm. not like an end person for any of this stuff and all this stuff is just like, com- it's a commodity now. Right. Um, by the way, can I just say that Human Ponzi Scheme would be such a good NBA nickname <laughs> in the way that like... Metal World Peace? Yeah, no, no, like, you know, like the, the human highlight reel or oh, like, yeah, yeah, sure, you know, like sure. the question, yeah. the answer. What's a, what's a... It could um, be a rap name too, I It'd guess. be a great one, yeah. It'd be a long one. It'd be almost it's, like a bad <laughs> um, like Wu-Tang name or like an even worse... Uh, Odd future name. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you don't forget like three chains. Yeah. yeah. I guess that's tough. It's like Jerry the human Ponzi scheme. Right. <laughs> What's um a good NBA nickname that like just never popped off? There's a dude I, I, not, it wasn't Oliver Miller, but there's a dude named Pig Miller. I was trying <laughs> to think of him before. I forget where whether he went to Alabama, like where it came from. He was one of the dudes on the on the Rockets when I went out there to do the story, and I just recall him having a toothpick in his mouth all the time. <laughs> I just think those wild country dudes, yeah, back then, like you don't get as many of them anymore. Like those nicknames are great, right? Yeah. Like and same thing, like a a, a one word sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, How about when when there was just big country, big country, Reeves. big country was amazing. Like that, that's all he was. But he was I, just I, a nickname. <laughs> I was also a fan of like so. Glenn Robinson came into the league, nicknamed Big Dog. Yep, mm-hmm. but. There was already a big dog right. in the NBA, so he got named uh, Antoine Carr, who played yeah. for the Jazz oh, yeah. and also the Rockets, and yep. he wore Oakleys all the time, which was also great. Charles Oakley. So he just became original big dog, which is even better than being big dog. Yeah. Like, that's a great name. You know, you know, just this is so way off, but like the idea of like once a Nick, always a Nick thing, because mm. like junkyard dog is like a sort of uh, community like uh, right, representative right, right. for the Knicks now. It's like you played like one year with the Knicks, yes, like, you know. But yes. once a Nick, always a Nick. No, and it's amazing that though there's those guys who like like John Starks. God love John Starks, yeah, 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 and yeah. it's like you know he'll forever be remembered for the dunk or whatever, which I always argue wasn't really <laughs> on Jordan because he was kind of out of the way. Oh my Man. god, but you're it's such like, a you, Jordan apologist. Like, so but 
But Starks has kind of agreed to do literally everything for the Knicks. Yes, I feel correct. like he signed some open-ended <laughs> contract where it's like if you ask, if we ask you to do something to present a check to some like you know the hero cop of the week or whatever yeah, yeah, you're yeah. doing it. <laughs> so like somehow like the fact that he had literally the worst game in finals history that basically yeah. lost them a title like. No one even talks about that anymore. I think maybe that was like a clause in that deal. <laughs> yeah. Like, we'll never bring up your like one for 16 shooting night when Rolando Blackman was rotting on the bench <laughs> yeah. if you agree to do literally everything. Like, I feel like his number has to get retired at some point just for like his post playing career. Yeah, no, correct. It's just been funny over the years. Like, and I'm sure for you guys as Knicks fans, even more so, like <laughs> watching guys like Houston and Starks and like Junkyard Dog, yeah. you know, be brought in for all this stuff. Meanwhile, like Patrick Ewing was like persona non grata for decades. Kills me. It really does like, kill me. You know, also sure. how they did Oak. That's just Yeah, horrible. yeah, yeah. Well, Oak, yeah, it was even worse. I yeah. Mean, he can get arrested in Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, but for Ewing, it's like I understand he was like a prideful guy and like didn't want to like step back or whatever. Even when clearly like you know Sprewell and Camby were the guys driving that yeah. team at that point. Yeah. But like to essentially like write him out, you know, and and not say like yo like why do you? <laughs> yeah. He was the best Nick ever, probably. Yeah, for sure. Or in the ballpark. So. Listen, all of seemingly all of your like greatest loves uh, when it comes to like hip hop, when it comes to basketball, when it comes to shoes are at the center of culture. How much pride do you take in that, that you have been there along for this ride? I mean, look, a lot of it, you know, a lot of it obviously has been has been luck and been good timing. You know, um, you know, I happened to get into this business when things were starting to take off in that in that way, like and got in at Slam, which was the place that combined hip hop and basketball and, you know, obviously brought sneakers heavy into the mix. Like they were doing sneakers in the magazine while I was there. We launched kicks and like sort of launched like sneaker media per se. Um, you know, and that time frame while I was there, that, that mid nineties era has been like the sweet spot too, where like the shoes from that era, the hip hop from that era is still celebrated. I saw like, today is 25 years since Enter the Wu-Tang came out yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. Midnight Marauders. Funny thing, I don't think I heard Enter the Wu-Tang for like three years. <laughs> until I, I don't think I heard that album until like 96 well, or something. Get ready for a bunch of internet comments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready for that. I actually, yeah. it's funny, and this has nothing to do with that question, but I remember going to Hoop Summit, which was like the second uh, Team USA high school game. Mm-hmm. I don't think Kobe played in it, but it was like Jermaine O'Neal, when I tried to convince Jermaine O'Neal that he should go to like a junior college, oh. I was really smart. I'm glad he didn't take my advice. Um, Tim Thomas and those dudes. Yeah. And I bought Enter the Wu-Tang on cassette that weekend and like played it in my rental car like the whole weekend. Wow. And just in your convertible. Nothing yeah, but yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. No, that was, a, that was like a regular car and it poured the whole weekend. So it didn't matter. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's cool seeing that stuff come back around. It's It makes me feel very old seeing stuff get retroed mm-hmm. where it's like, oh yeah, I remember writing about that shoe <laughs> when it initially came out and now like kids are able to get it who don't even remember it. Right. Um, and by the way, they're not able to get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Wait, know, but what's, what's an interest that you have? Because Eric's like, you know, what's an interest that you have um, that's been celebrated? What are some interests that you have that have not been celebrated? Hmm. Well, I mean... Like, you collect, like, Nazi memorabilia? <laughs> no, no, no. Cut, cut. It's so in um, right now, by the way. <laughs> but before, like, before I was into hip-hop, I was into heavy metal. Like, I went to metal shows, like, first. And I've stayed into that. And, like, I've always been a metal fan. And, like, 
you know, that's the kind of thing I've wanted to write about and haven't really had the chance. I haven't really had the outlet. You know, I've gotten to do a couple things here and there. I'd like to do a little bit more chops if you're listening, like the Def Jam stuff. I'm going to do that, you know, because Slayer had their very brief period on Def Jam mm-hmm. and like Rick Rubin obviously being into that too. Um, so, I mean, there's that. I guess that's a big part of it, like old metal, like concert shirts and stuff like that. You know, that stuff has kind of come back around. No thanks kind to of? the Kardashians. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but now the stuff is like super expensive because of people who don't even care about the bands. Like it's a very weird thing to like. Yeah, everybody just like the aesthetic. See happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they just like Stranger Things. And it's like, <laughs> I like things that look like Stranger Things. That 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 80s, the 90s era. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, I, I've gotten to do things in a lot of the areas I've had interest, you know, I've been fortunate enough. And now it's like, you know, seeing like what comes around with that, whether it's been this Soul Origin series or mm-hmm. like, you know, writing for the Jordan site or stuff like that. You know, it's like I've been fortunate to make a lot of connections through the years that, you know, I'm able to use now or like, fortunately, people call me about, you know, since I'm not the most self-starting person in the world. <laughs> Um, Ask your girlfriend, you know, or yeah, a procrastinator. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, doing this thing with Iverson at ComplexCon, and and even when I was talking to him at that, you know, it was like, damn, like I've actually known this guy for twenty years. Like yeah. that's crazy. Like you don't think about doing anything for that long. And he's about to get retroed. <laughs> <laughs> Alan Iverson too. <laughs> well, listen, Russ, we're we're super glad that you took the time to come up here. And tell your story, and you've had a hell of a career. And now it's over. And <laughs> that's the prize at the end of this. Like, but the biggest the thing we want right people into- to know is just like Fat Joe, it's Russ Bangston TS. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, exactly. I should borrow one of his. You should. Exactly. <laughs> just wear that. Yeah, yeah. No, but thank you guys for having me. Like seeing that all the people you've had, I'm like, really? Yeah. Oh no, for sure. Oh no. Well, we just didn't have anybody to come. <laughs> Thanks so much, Russ. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening to this new episode of A Waste Time with It's The Real Jeff. People want to find out more about us. I'm Eric. You are Jeff. Our caricatures are on our new sweatshirts at itstherealcom slash shop. Go pick yourself up one or two or three right now. Jeff, people want to find out more about this podcast called A Waste of Time with It's The Real. We are It's The Real. No apostrophe, no spaces. If people want to find out more about what's going on in our lives or get themselves some holiday gifts, where can they go? You can always go to itstherealcom I-T-S-T-H-E-R-E-A-L.com. No apostrophes, no spaces ever. Yeah. Never any apostrophes or spaces in It's The Real. You can also go and find our podcast on iTunes. Search for A Waste of Time with It's The Real. Or maybe you're on Spotify. I am. Yeah. So if you're looking to find us there, go search for A Waste of Time with It's The Real. Or you can even go to SoundCloud.com slash A Waste of Time. Okay. You can also go to SoundCloud.com slash Two Jews, Two Black Dudes. That is to get our podcast with the locks. Our movie review podcast. Yes. You know, where we reviewed Jurassic Park and Coco and... Last Dragon, all the movies that you want to get our reviews on. You've got mail. New episode coming soon. Yes, go check the last ones out before you hear this new one. Also, you can go find us on social media at It's The Real on Twitter, at It's The Real on Facebook, at It's The Real on Instagram. And yes, we are heavy in the streets. <laughs> Come find us. Yes. Jeff, we'd like to shout people out because we so appreciate the fact that you guys recommend this podcast to your friends. There's a lot of times when people are just like, hey, I'm so happy 
that I got the go-ahead from my friend, whoever, who said, yo, you have to listen to this specific episode and then 10 others. And we like to shout out you who have shouted out us. See how that works? Jeff, who do you want to shout out today? I want to shout out Ernest Wilkins. Yeah, Chi-Town. Chi-Town Zone. I want to also shout out who's been doing a Midwest Swing. I want to shout out Cliff Skywalker. Shout out to Cliff up there in Michigan. And I also want to shout out Joe Freshgoods. Shout out to Joe Freshgoods back down there in the Windy City. Jeff, I want to shout out a guy who we ran into recently who is on a mission. He is dedicating a lot of his hours, Jeff. Oh, to us. To us. It is Skip from BK, who, for some reason, well, maybe there's a lot of reasons. But he has chosen to listen to every episode of Waste of Time with It's The Real, not one episode once a week. This show is binge listening to this podcast in short order. He is, last I checked, probably around 150. He recently heard us shout him out from the very first time when he committed to listening to every episode. And he asked us today. Today? Today. When we were starting 12 Days of Podcast this December, which, by the way, is 12 new episodes in 12 days, because he wants to catch up by that point. So, according to my watch, two weeks or three weeks to catch up on every episode in our catalog. And that, my friend, is how you slow jam the new is is just amazing and remarkable and great and a true waste of time. Jeff, as always... Not for real, for real. Sure, sure. See you guys next week. Right. Go, 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 go.